0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com
1: Hey hey where you been Buck I talk is about to begin hey Hey, hey,
2: come on in. Welcome back to your Big Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Ohio State coverage team. The Big Wednesday won't be quite as big sometimes. Sometimes your big isn't quite as big, Buckeye Talk. But I'll tell you what, I am feeling it. I'm also doing some brown stuff, but you guys are digging in. We're starting to have the interviews like it feels. I've said this before. Like the season is here. This is like... We're getting to football stuff again. We're talking to to players. We're talking to coaches. While simultaneously, there's still like this background, like COVID stuff and budget stuff. And so there is, it feels like there's a lot going on. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to let the texters carry the pod. Great texter interaction. On our main topic today, which is, does Ohio State have the biggest gap between it as the number one team in a conference, and the rest of the conference. And does that mean Ohio State has the easiest path to the playoff of any Power Five conference team? And we're specifically gonna compare that to the ACC, to Clemson, and then everybody behind Clemson in the ACC, which this year includes Notre Dame. We have some numbers, we have great texter uh, interactions on that, but we wanna start with a little bit of down-home football talk. And that's about the running back room. So we are talking to people, last Friday, Kevin Wilson, as the offensive coordinator talked. So Nathan, why don't you just tell the listeners why we're talking about the running backs to lead off this Wednesday podcast?
1: Well, it was our first chance to talk to anyone uh, other than Ryan day, I suppose. So we still haven't talked to to Tony offer in a while, but the chance to talk to someone about the offense and about specifically what's going on in the running back room. Since Trey sermon came along, I don't think we talked to any coaches um, other than Ryan day, since he had had, been with the team. And especially since they'd started doing some kinds of practices here in the last few weeks. And I wanted to get a sense, you know, I was planning to ask him and obviously some other people were just to get a sense of exactly what's happening in that backfield, like how that balance is going to come together. And both Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson in the last couple of weeks have said that they're envisioning a 50, 50 split, or at least that's the way it's working right now that those two guys are splitting carries with splitting reps with the ones and as they, as they see it right now, I think they're seeing a balance of workload between those two guys. I don't know if it'll be exactly 50-50, but that's the, the, the verbiage they are throwing around right now. We'll see what happens. You know, things can change from a month before the season to opening day. But it, it definitely sounds like they see the, um, what they want to see from Trey Sermon they like, but they also see the health that they want to see in Master Teague. I think that's the important factor there, that they feel like he could handle a big workload to start this delayed season. So, or or a or a or, or some kind of real workload. I don't know if I, big is subjective. I suppose.
2: Yeah, but meaningful, meaningful, yeah, right? Meaningful, it's not yes. not like mop up time. Not that. Hey. He's not what he did play. last year. He's going to play eight snaps a game because we're easing him in like no indication of anything like that. Right.
1: It, no. And, and, and you got to remember Trey Sermon was also coming off an injury, although we felt like his recovery from things we'd seen and heard was, had progressed pretty well, even for the season, if it was starting on time. So yeah, to hear that both, and we, we had already known this. I mean, we, we reported here a couple weeks ago or talked to you a couple weeks ago um, when they were first opening the first time they tried to open preseason camp that master Teague had been on the field and was looking good and was getting reps with the ones and that sort of thing so that, that wasn't a shock but it is interesting to hear Wilson talk about and and Day has said it too that that, that that there's a pretty even mix between those two guys right now
2: so we have talked about this a lot so I, I don't want to cover the old ground we've talked about how it compares to the J.K. Dobbins Mike Weber split we compared it to you know talk about the idea that hey part of this is because they didn't land a big-time recruit B. John Robinson by the way the guy from Texas that they really wanted landed on his head on Saturday yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. That was that was a little scary. So it, it seems like he's fine, but I know I think they told him, be careful with your hurdles. Bijan Robinson, recruit from Arizona. They thought they were going to get, pick Texas instead, tried to hurdle a guy against Texas Tech and r- really landed awkwardly. So I don't want to just talk about the split. I want to talk about how the coaches are talking about and should be handling the possible split. So Steven, if you were Kevin Wilson, do you think he is, what he said on Friday, do you think that's, that's what he, think is, he thinks is actually going to happen and that's the plan? Do you think it's what a coach would say this early in camp when they're really barely getting started? What is the, from a coaching perspective, what is sort of the right psychological balance and also rep balance? I'm trying to get these guys ready. And what do you think is real? And what do you think is maybe any coach speak involved in discussing this backfield?
0: I think a little bit of both Which the coach speak and also a little bit of that. That's probably their plan. The coach, because it's the simple fact that neither of these guys are the returning, starting running back. And neither one of them is, there's not a gap wide enough between those two to where you need to come out and do, you know, what you did with Justin Fields, where we know that was just completely coach speak. We knew Justin Fields was going to be the starting quarterback when he got here and them easing him into things, was just because he was still learning the offense in this situation, you're genuinely not sure which one's the starter, or who's the better back yet, but also Because of that, this might actually be your plan if you've told them both that from day one. And it's not a situation where, like with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, where they weren't happy about it. They understood the situation, and they're happy to, you know, apply and go along with this plan. So it is a little bit of both of we're going to keep them equal reps because we're trying to figure out which one's the better back, but also we're going to keep them either equal reps because this might just be the best plan for us, at least for right now. It might not be all season, but at least to start things off, this seems like the best route to go.
2: Okay, so I want to make it difficult now. And I don't know that I think this is going to happen, but let's say it does. And I'm not going to lean it either way. Let's say they start off in in practice when they really get rolling, and they're starting to really get rolling this week. And they are splitting reps, and one guy clearly just looks better. And I don't know which one would be more likely to just look better, right? But let's say one does. Steven, if you were the coaches and you thought, man, they're not equal, like the other the other guy's still pretty good, but but the guy who's first is is really quite good. Would you open the door to like making that guy the number one back at the start of the season and the other guy is now a backup? Or do you think it's better long term to at least start the season with some kind of 50-50 split, even if that would happen? You know what I mean? That like for yeah. for, for 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 keeping everybody happy for making sure that they're both, they both have had injuries and you don't want the guy who's number two to be down on himself in case the number one guy gets injured. What would you do in that case?
0: I give it two games because then you get a season opener against Nebraska. And then you also see it against a quality opponent in Penn state. And then you have to go to them and for the rest of the season say, listen, either Trey sermon is better or master Teague is better. and They have to live with that, but you have to communicate that right now. That the idea that the first two games are maybe going to be equal because it gives you both, a chance against, you know, high quality team and then another decent team. And then we'll go, we'll evaluate it from there. And kind of similar to what Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, where you gave them a certain amount of games to prove themselves. And then you pick the guy. That's what they have to do.
2: Nathan, same question for you. And then also Nathan, like do you think that that's possible that that would happen or would you much more assume that, yeah, you know, that they, they probably are pretty close and that 50 50 is going to make sense, but what would you do if one emerged in preseason?
1: And I want to say, kind of alluding something you're you're they, they have not had pads on then And was something that Kevin Wilson said along with the other things you're saying the other day was it well Trey Sermon looks good but we haven't seen him in pads and then obviously Master Teague is coming back from a pretty significant injury and they haven't seen him in pads so I think that's an important caveat to remember here too and I guess t- the overall premise of your question I, I like I said I think there's still a month left and I think there's it's perfectly reasonable that in that amount of time somebody else pulls ahead and, and wins this job and takes over the the opening the being the number one so I I I would have no problem if I was a coach and I saw one guy clearly win the job and he's the one that has separated, then I think he gets the lion's share of the job. I don't really worry about um, this. this uh, th- that feelings. Second year you don't
2: too- worry about
1: feelings. Yeah. I don't worry about uh, feelings and egos in that way. I think you, you worry about it in other ways. I mean, as far as giving everybody a fair shot to compete for the job, but once a competition happens, I don't worry about that. You know, Somebody else won the job in our estimation, our combined estimation as a coaching staff. Um, or whoever makes that final decision, Ryan Day, I suppose. And then you move forward. And if, if one guy wins the job, that second game of the year is too important. They can't be playing around with that Penn State game. They have to win that game if they want to win a national championship, potentially. And you've got to have your best team on the field. And if that means one of those guys takes 75% of the, of the carries and the other one is the backup, then so be it. What do we think of the idea of week
2: two against Penn State? They both say they both get a series to start the game because they did split against Nebraska mm-hmm. and they continue to split at the start of the game against Penn state. And then one guy just looks better. And then they just say, Oh yeah, it's you. Does that seem like a possible scenario, Nathan?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's how people have been playing football for a long time. Yeah. I think that's a very possible scenario,
2: but just like with this, with this, with these two guys in particular, I just am, I am very interested to there's are in two interesting situations. One guy is a transfer from a big time school to, where he was good, but he was injured. He wasn't ever great. He, he had maybe a great peak for like two games, but he wasn't great for a whole season, a full healthy season. He appears to be a very good like NFL type athlete maybe, but he's new here. And he also probably like lost the job as the starter at Oklahoma, which is why he went in the transfer portal to begin with. That's like an interesting kind of unusual situation. And the other guy was maybe a little underrated in the recruiting rankings, but he made whatever third team all big 10 last year as a backup looked good in kind of the blowouts, but how good is he really against first line competition? If he didn't have the transfer, it would have been his job presumably because they didn't get anybody else in recruiting to challenge him really. And then he suffers a devastating injury in the spring. Like it's just such two interesting things. I could see why as much as nobody cares about feelings, Buckeye talk, there are some feelings in there both ways a little bit. Like, hey, you're the transfer. We wanted you. We told you to come. Hey, you lost the job in camp. You're a backup again. Eh, not that that's not fair, but I'm not sure that's the best thing for his mindset. And then Master Teague, we love you. We, but we brought in this transfer to compete with you. You put your body on the line. You fought back in this rehab. You've done everything right in rehab. You're the backup. Well, I Again, just to say- also feelings that might matter.
1: To clarify what I was saying, I, I think if it, if there's a separation, I don't care about the feelings. If there's a separation and one guy's clearly better, that's the guy who gets the job. But if it's close, then I think what you're actually talking about is not necessarily protecting their feelings. It's about trying to build their confidence in 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 two different ways, or or for two different guys. And I think there is merit to that.
0: Also, I, I, that's a
1: better
2: way a, to say it. It's a better way to say it. Yes.
0: And if you can show a guy two games of game two, your games of film, and then the running back room, and go, listen this guy was clearly better than you. It's easier to make that argument than it is to just do it and start a season before you play the game. If they can see it.
2: So I don't, I don't like to borrow trouble, right? I'm not here to create issues. I've never, I've never done that on this podcast. I have never thrown out theories just to have a cockamamie discussion about something that will never happen. That's not how I podcast. I've been doing this for five years. That's not my MO. I like to keep it real. So here's a cockamamie idea. So (laughs) is, is there anything in this, these two particular circumstances, which we, I think we all agree are pretty interesting. What are the chances that a, a preseason competition that maybe presumably would go into the season and maybe last the whole year, a brings out the best in both that these guys are maybe actually pretty equal as running backs and wanting to like. Just they push each other in the best possible way. And Ohio State gets the best out of both of them. B, it's kind of a mess. They're looking over their shoulder. They both maybe have some injury influence, confidence issues. And it, it brings out the, not the best in both of them in trying to, to have two guys have a role. Or C, it doesn't matter, they just get the ball and run, and whether they were the starter by themselves or splitting time, it has zero effect on them, they are who they are. Of those three choices, Stephen, which, which would you guess is more likely, and of course, it's, it's only a guess, because it's based on circumstances, the individual attitudes of the players, how Tony Alford and Ryan Day handle it, a lot goes into it, we don't know what it's going to be, but what's your guess, Stephen? Stephen?
0: My guess is one of the two extremes. The most unlikely one is it doesn't matter. and They just go out there and run the ball. It's going to be one of the two. It's either going to be what we saw in 2018 or it's going to be the polar opposite of that where, they sure, iron sharpens iron and one guy sees a series where a guy gets it four times and runs it for 35 or more yards and he wants to mimic that or do better than that. It's going to be that or it's going to be, you know, I was injured. Now they brought this guy in and now I have to look over my shoulder. And, and the other guys like, I came here because I thought I was going to be a starter. And now I'm looking over my shoulder and they're both averaging 3.8 yards per carry, but it's not going to be the one in the middle where it just doesn't matter. It's either going to affect him in an a extremely good way or an extremely po- uh, negative way.
2: Do you agree with that, Nathan, that there will be some effect of a split one way or the other?
1: I think I, this season, I think C is maybe the most likely result actually just with these two guys. I, you know, I think Kevin Wilson w- made some sense in, in some of the things he was saying the other day, and because you know, I asked him, like, isn't this? Aren't you looking for like a complementary situation? Is that why it's not just that they're both healthy and both can play? Is it something that they work off each other? And he actually said, well, not as much as you would think. That he kind of sees it being not that different of a skill set between the two of them. And, and when you go look at Like You go look at the roster, maybe Trey Sermon's a little bit bigger than we remember he is. He's not like a tiny little guy. He's not Demario McCall by any means. And we've seen Master Teague, when he gets ahead of steamrolling, he's maybe a little faster than people would think. He's not just a big, broad shoulders. So I think the whole point of of this team, I'm really hesitant to make any – comparisons to 2018 or use that as like the baseline of what we should expect in this year just because it's a completely different offensive line and and more importantly well not completely different i guess there mumford is around for that team too but it and and white davis at the end but it's also a very different quarterback that you have that's involved in the running game and what that means for both of these running backs i i think it 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 makes a big difference i mean what what you can do with them and how how defenses have to prepare for you so i I actually think it, it might just be that this is a, this is just going to be an offense that hums, and you've got two guys who are not, again, not one that doesn't separate from the other. I know that we've talked before about how it would be great if one of these guys could like run away with the number one job, but I think what we're essentially saying there is it'd be great if one of these guys was J.K. Dobbins and was clearly the guy who should be getting the ball. I just don't know if either of these guys rise to that level. I don't think
2: it's going to be a problem. I'm not anticipating that. I'm not saying that I think the running back situation either – with their confidence levels because they're splitting or from a production standpoint, will hold them back. But I think it's, I would, I, I have my eye on it. I am also not a hundred percent assuming this is the greatest thing ever. Right. I don't know, maybe 20% chance that you get to like the middle of the year and think like, I don't, I don't know if this is really what they're looking for, but also that means there's an 80% chance in my mind of like whatever happens and there. And then there's three possibilities there, right? There's three, I think good possibilities. One is, Sermon kind of takes it and he's good. One is Teague kind of takes it and he's good. And the other is nobody takes it and they're both good. And those are all good outcomes for them. The only bad outcome. So if there's four outcomes, the only bad outcome is nobody really takes it and then nobody really plays to their max capacity, maybe because of the situation. So
1: I, which is 2018, kind of, which right? Yeah.
2: 2018, which is why again, yeah. I all of us agree it is different, but that's fresh in our mind. And it's just one of those things. It's it's you can't just always assume this is the hard thing about covering Ohio State. You can't assume everything in Ohio State is going to work out perfectly every time, even though most of the time it does. <laughs> so I mean that's one of those things. Uh, the the list of things that I have been concerned about at some point early in a season or in a preseason over the last 15 years that turned out to be fine is is longer than I don't know, my house to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. I mean, it's, it's forever. But every now and then, there is something that pops up. So I don't think there's much that's going to like, and this is what we're going to get into. You know, this season is not going to be derailed. This team is too good, and the competition is too iffy. And, and it's, it's not going to be derailed. So it's not like it's going to, but, you know, much like, but just like in, in 2018, you would say that oh, that defense like derailed them right that like that was like they had an offense you'd never seen before and the defense made them lose against Purdue and then almost lost against Maryland and they didn't get in the playoff and they had a really good year but they were derailed by the defense I don't think there's a derailment on this team but there's stuff that might not be perfect that's all
1: okay yeah I want to I want to throw in one quick idea though like we we talk on this team about you know, they rotate all their cornerback spots. And the, the thing, the thought there is that it makes those guys better. And then until they didn't last year, they didn't really rotate them as much. They had just the three main guys, obviously a different coach involved there, but different philosophy. They rotate the wide receivers every year and we kind of just accept that and say, well, that's how they do it. They go six guys at three spots and it kind of makes them all better, except sometimes maybe they do that less like last year when they only had KJ Hill running the slot. So I kind of think it, I, I think we shouldn't necessarily think of running back that differently. Like, they, if they have two guys that they can move back and forth and think that maximizes what they can get out of the, both of them. I don't think, I don't think running back is so different that that's an implausible way to look at that position. We've seen too many other programs do that and have success with it.
0: I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I don't disagree with it, but I do kind of disagree with the premise that a running back is a little, isn't different. It is a little different because depending on who the back is, he might need to get into a groove. We saw that with JK Dobbins. He got better throughout the game last year. You see yeah. that with a lot of running backs. So, I think with running back, it does a little bit depend on you know who the personalities you bring into the that room is and whether or not you can measure not.
1: But but that's my point. They didn't leave J.K. Dobbins in games last year because he got better during games. They got they left J.K. Dobbins in games last year because he was J.K. Dobbins and nobody else on the roster was J.K. Dobbins.
0: Yeah, but he even admitted before even last season, the first time we ever talked to him back in the spring that like. the the benefit of being the only back is being able to get into a groove and figure out a defense, and you get better as time goes on. That was before we even, you know, got to the season he had the year he had. So I just think in his situation, had they been in some tighter games, you would have seen that the progression of him later in the season when he was having those 30-plus carries, when he got a chance to just weigh and weigh and weigh on defenses, you saw him get better throughout those games. And not every running back's like that. You know, Georgia's had a a lot of different types of running backs down there, but I think in some situations, depending on the personality – you know, it's better to have a one back situation. I don't, we don't know that yet with these two.
2: So now we can't take a break quite yet because this is an interesting point that you've brought up, Nathan. <laughs> so I think well, we all agree that the one position where a rotation actually usually is an issue is quarterback, yeah. right? That Like that's different. Because you, right. end up, you do end up looking over your shoulder, and every time you throw a pick, you think you're going to get yanked. Or if, even if it's a series-to-series series rotation, you think, oh, man, I only got three series and we punted because my receiver dropped the ball. Then that guy got to be yeah. in for 10 plays, right? I think we would all agree on that, that that's different. I think the next position group that is where there's the greatest possibility of a timeshare maybe being a problem is running back. And then I think almost everywhere else is fine. Corner, fine. Re- receiver, the way Ohio state does it. Fine. Defensive line, fine. I would Linebacker, throw a line
1: in there pretty high. Oh, but nobody the, does uh, it on the, yeah, nobody right. does I'm it just on the offensive line. But, but, yeah.
2: I mean, we've never, uh, have you ever in the history of the world seen like, well, we have two good left tackles. They're going to alternate series. That is very, <laughs> very, very, very rare. And, but I would agree with that because continuity matters, the guy that you're playing next to all that kind of thing. Right. But the ones where it actually happens. So, the question then if you agree that the running back is the second position where a rotation can be a thing, is it more like quarterback, where it absolutely can be a thing? Or is it more like receiver, cornerback, off, you know, defensive line, linebacker, where it's not that big a deal? Which way does it kind of lean? And I think. Team to team, player to player, situation to situation, it can be a little more like quarterback yeah. where it's kind of a thing, or it can be more like receiver or cornerback or defensive line where it's not a thing. Nathan, we- that, that idea, what do you think of that?
1: Well, in general, I think quarterback kind of stands alone in this conversation as the one that is the problem if you don't know who your number one quarterback is and then when you have two guys sharing it it seems to push it farther and farther away from finding out who your number one quarterback is i covered a team where they had they did that for a while and it actually ended up paying off for them because then one of them got hurt and they had to turn things all the way over to it so to to the second guy so it almost benefited them but it wasn't the plan that way um when you've got two guys in the mix it, oh it's the old adage i don't know how true it is you know if you've got two quarterbacks you don't have any so i i, f- I feel like quarterback stands alone in that way and maybe you're right about the running back situation that it, it, it's very team dependent or individual dependent how much of a problem it's going to be i guess i wasn't here in 2018 for the jk dobbins thing i guess i would just say to jk dobbins like well you should have won the job some other time and then you would have had more reps in the game you would have gotten more of the load i mean that that's but that was the problem there right that he wasn't separating and uh the coaches couldn't make that decision
0: well i you he know it, i think he separated in 2017 he showed that it should have just been his
2: i think there were some confidence issues and feelings issues there too i i don't know i mean if they only would have played the best guy but but i think like the fact that he was even in a competition kind of led J.K. to not be the best version of himself, which is what you would see. I mean, in the 2015 preseason, I think the fact that J.T. Barrett was in a competition with Cardale Jones led J.T. to not have a good camp. So if you were going to say, well, let's just go with one guy, well, the guy that maybe you thought you were going to go with if you were only going to go with one didn't play that well because he wasn't the guy. It can be a vicious cycle sometimes of this guy flourishes when he's the guy. So prove you're the guy, but prove it in a competition first. Now in the competition, he doesn't prove he's the guy, which means he can't be the guy, which means he's not going to flourish. So, Stephen, which do you think in this situation with the Ohio State running backs? Does it lean a little more towards a quarterback-like split where it could be an issue or more towards a – all the other positions, as we sort of outlined, in this Ohio State running back situation,
0: in this 2020 running back situation, it probably leans towards the rest of the position groups because the main difference is neither one of these guys has proven it yet, and now is having to do it again. Basically, you're having two guys who are coming off of injuries, and have, you know, one lost the job at Oklahoma, the other guys never even had the job to begin with, so it's a little easier to, for them to come along for this idea than if you would have had a situation where one of them was a thousand yard back last season. And now you're asking them to take less carries and share and not be the guy who gets the line share of things. So in this situation, it probably leans more towards the rest of the position groups.
2: And Nathan, it sounds like you would definitely agree with that, that this is much more in this situation, much more like an average position group than like a quarterback battle.
0: I,
1: I From looking from the, from the outside. Yeah, that's the way I see it. I think these, both these guys have proven something, right? I mean, Trey Sermon did good things at Oklahoma. He proved that he's a, power five potential difference maker running back in some capacity. Master Teague really excelled at times in the role that he was in last year. So they both proven something, but they haven't necessarily ever had that number one job at Ohio state. And now it's part of, it's being given to somebody else or something. And I I, I think we, what we know from master Teague from a personality standpoint, he seems like easily like someone who could be talked into, Hey, both of you go out and kick butt in half a role and we go win a national championship and everybody will be happy. Uh, we don't know that much about Trey Sermon yet but I, that would seem like some place you could get him too. I think you could probably show Trey Sermon like you don't have to get 30 carries a game for us to get you your shot in the NFL.
2: Interesting. I think this is I think this is interesting stuff and I think it's worth monitoring. I think it's worth monitoring during the preseason and and I will be very curious what the who the first running back on the field is against Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And then who the running back on the field is for the second series. If it's the same running back as the first series or a different one and what that running back load split is like in week one, because they do have to have a good, they have to have some kind of handle on this by week two. Cause as you said, I mean, we all sort of said, you can't be like mucking around and trying to figure out yourself against the, probably the best team on your schedule. And that's going to happen in week two. And that's what we're going to talk about next on Buckeye talk the gap between Ohio state and everyone else in the Big Ten, compared to the gap between the top team in other leagues and everybody else in that conference. The thesis is, is the gap between Ohio State and the rest of its conference the biggest gap in the country? We're going to get into that with our tech subscribers. We're going to see what the three of us think about that next on Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. All right, back on I Talk to dive into the, the biggest issue that we're going to cover on this big Wednesday podcast. Uh, again, we're talkables at the end of this week, probably a recruiting thing, maybe jumping in, or if we don't get to recruiting, a full recruiting pod this week, we'll get to one next week. Uh, we do have some interviews coming up, um, so we'll have more opportunities just to have more informed discussions about position groups in the next you know, couple podcasts, because we're going to c- continue to talk to players and coaches Around Ohio State. So keep listening for that. Keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU for all of that. But this is where I got the idea to kind of dive into this gap question. And it came from Ralph Russo, friend of the podcast, on Twitter at Ralph D. Russo AP, National College Football Writer for the AP. He tweeted this, uh, I think, over the weekend. There seems to be an upper tier developing in the ACC that could provide Clemson a legit test to get to the college football playoff. Miami, Notre Dame, Pitt, maybe Virginia Tech in the regular season and one of them or North Carolina in the ACC championship game. No Power Five conference had a bigger gap between its champ and the rest of the league than the ACC last year. It wasn't close. I don't think that will be the case this year the gap between Clemson and the rest of the ACC might look a lot like the gap between Ohio state and the rest of the big 10. So then somebody responded to that and said, like, I don't know about that. And Ralph said, I'm not sure any of those teams can really play with Clemson either any of the teams he listed, but remember nobody in the big 10 seriously challenged Ohio state last year, a half in each game against Wisconsin, one quarter versus Penn state because Ohio state was so damn good. So, this is, this is how I want to frame this at the start. If you do present a case that the gap between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten might be the biggest in the country this year, is that an insult to Ohio State, like you play in a crappy conference? Or is it a compliment to Ohio State more along the lines of, you are so awesome, nobody in your conference can run with you because I think that affects to some degree how an Ohio state fan receives those tweets from Ralph and received this topic when we sent it out to the tech subscribers. So Nathan, is it more of a compliment for Ohio state or more of an insult?
1: In terms of Ohio state, it's more of a compliment. You, I guess the rest of big 10 could take it as kind of an insult, but really, if you look back at last year in the ACC, it wasn't that there were no teams in the ACC. Well, actually there are actually, i I take that back. The ACC was pretty bad last year. (laughs) When you you start talking about teams like Virginia and and those teams that were kind of fake good, they weren't really that good. So I actually think that makes it even more of a compliment towards Ohio State because I think there are teams in the Big Ten this year that are much better than anybody else in the ACC was last year other than Clemson, and he's still saying there's this huge gap. And I think that gap is – because the other thing, we talk about the ACC being bad all the time, but Clemson legitimately is great. Like Clemson legitimately is one of the three best teams in college football, three best programs year in and year out, two best. So that's it's, – it's both. that that's Both things cause a separation. But really, if you're being compared to Clemson right now, it's being said that you are legitimately great and dominate your conference regardless of the rest of the competition. You are just too good. Steven, how, how would you take it?
0: A little bit of disrespect just because you're comparing it to the ACC, which – I mean, Clemson's got a cakewalk every year. All they have to do is not lose, and they're going to get into the college football playoff. You can't, it's not that simple for Ohio State. There are some teams who can challenge them in the past. So I think if you don't necessarily look at the schedules right away and you just hear Ohio State has an easier path and the Big Ten that Clemson has in the ACC, as a fan, you might get a little upset by that.
2: So I do think that given the history of the Big Ten, and again, I spent my first several years here, uh, I didn't cover the national championship team in 02, but my first year was 05. So 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, and 2010, six straight years, Ohio State won the Big Ten. Obviously, before a Big Ten championship game. And all I wrote about was Ohio State won the Big Ten, but the Big Ten sucks. It was, I could not write the first sentence, the first part of that sentence without a comma, but the rest of the Big Ten sucks. I do think that saying that your conference sucks is actually still kind of a personal insult to the team. They can't control it, but it's sort of like I can talk bad about my family, but I don't want you talking bad about my family. So I don't think when someone says, hey, there's a huge gap, I think Ohio State fans do rise up a little bit sometimes and say hey no like hey like we are we do think our team is awesome but but let's not pretend that our conference totally stinks and that's a moment when they'll defend Penn State or maybe even defend Michigan a little bit or start talking about how well yeah you know Wisconsin can't beat Ohio State but look they're pretty good they do this and that does that make sense to you Nathan that like it, even though it, the 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 insult part of it really is not about Ohio State it's about the conference i think it still can be personal to Ohio State people, because you don't want to be part of a club that sucks, right?
1: Well, especially because Ohio State fans have spent the past however many years kind of bagging on Clemson and the fact that they get to just cakewalk into the playoffs every year. They don't want that identity for themselves. They don't want someone to legitimately be able to say that about them. So I I guess I could see taking that as an insult, but I think really when you sit back and, and analyze it, and I think people have, um, I, this year, this year, that's the other thing he's saying. He's not saying that this is necessarily a long-standing thing. What he's saying is this year, that gap has changed a little bit. And that maybe the, 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 per, the team that has that by a combination of their own potential greatness and where the rest of the conference has slipped for this year, that the gap is greater. And we got to remember, he's not just taught. You're not just when you make these conversations, you're also factoring in maybe an increased, gap between some of the teams at the bottom of the east division or some 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 programs like nebraska like michigan state that maybe are supposed to be better than they are but aren't there right now and that gap has widened or he expects it to widen for this year like all those things factor into it it's not just the ohio state penn state gap
2: okay this is a great way to frame this and this is why again we said we're going to lean on the tech subscribers uh in this podcast and they just had some great great ways of framing this discussion. I think framing a discussion is the most important part of the discussion. And Billy in Kansas did this perfectly from the 316. Has Ohio State reached the point of being quote, conference proof, end quote. Meaning they have national respect regardless of the quality of the rest of the conference. Clemson has that. But if the rest of the Big 10 is terrible this year, will that hurt us? That is the question. Because there's one thing for people to think your conference sucks, and there's another thing for people thinking your conference sucks to hurt you. And those are two very different things. So I guess the first question is, do you agree with the premise that Clemson is conference proof? Let's go with that first, because I would argue that was why between 2005 and 2010, I was so obsessed with writing about the fact that the Big Ten sucks, because I did not think that Ohio state was conference proof in that moment. And I thought in a world where only two teams make the college football playoff, I was always constantly on alert for like, okay, well, what if, what if all this stuff happens and then Ohio state's really good, but they have a loss and nobody respects them because you know what I mean? Like I thought I I wasn't just doing it to do it. I was doing it because I thought it mattered because I was trying to get to the nut of this. So Steven is Clemson, conference proof at this point that the acc being bad does not hurt them at all
0: yes i think they are um and that how close that north carolina game was last year proves it And that part of the reason why is every year we said the acc is bad yet clemson gets in the playoff and they get to the national championship game And then 28 in the 2018 season you know they beat the breaks off of alabama and so that put a rest to all that you know oh they don't play anybody during, during the regular season so they might get their doors blown off when they get to the playoff. You no, know, they've proven that it doesn't matter how bad their schedule is, they get into the playoff and they perform. Until last season, Ohio State hadn't really performed in the playoff outside of the initial year. they got Last time they got in the playoffs, they lost 31 to nothing, and so they weren't necessarily conference proof yet because they hadn't disproven the theory of if you play a bad schedule, you might get in the playoff and get your doors blown off. I think last year how they played against Clemson and the fact that I mean, you, sure, you can make the argument that they should have won that game. I think that changed some opinions in people's heads as far as Ohio State. So, no, they're not to the Clemson's level of being conference-proof. But I think winning a national championship helps that. So, if they're able to do that this season, you know, I think it'll, you know, set up any of those talks of, you know, whether or not their schedule, you know, should hinder them in a, in a change for a championship.
2: Well, that's one of those things. I mean, like, you all you... – you don't win a national championship so you could like get in the playoff later. It's like you win a national championship because you want to win a national championship. But, but your point is taken, Nathan, is Stephen right? That what you prove on the national stage is what makes you conference proof because then a committee or just outsiders on a podcast can look at a team and they have skins on the wall when they did get the chance, they proved they deserve the chance. And the fact that their conference stinks is really not the issue anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I think Ohio State gets some benefit of the doubt from the committee in some of those things. I mean, they have won a national championship under the, the playoff. They've been there three times. So I think some of those things are baked into Ohio State, but I would they are not the same as Clemson. We talk about them too often, like lumping all three of those programs together. And Alabama and Clemson still are above Ohio State by at least a, a sliver. Um, I don't, I don't put, I I think Clemson still has more of a mystique right now than Ohio State does. And I think that they're going to, they they have that identity, that conference proof identity more. Ohio State hasn't quite gotten to that level, but I think they're, they're right there on the cusp of it.
2: So I, is it possible that this is what happened with Ohio State? Although it's hard because the committee changes every year, they can do whatever they want they win the first national championship. They have everybody back. They lose one game. They don't get to the big 10 championship game and they're not conference proof. Right. But, but mm-hmm. it's also cause like, well, you know, Michigan state and Iowa, were basically playing a playoff play in game in the big 10 championship game that year, the committee hadn't really sort of advanced to the point of like putting in a non champ who didn't even make the, the conference championship game. And so Ohio state just got They just got right in the wrong situation in 15 that maybe they would have been conference proof, except the team that beat them then made the playoff instead of them. It wasn't like an outlier loss. They probably would have been better off with an outlier loss that year. So maybe that just, that wasn't an example of them not being conference proof. It was just a a, amalgamation of a lot of things that went wrong. Then in 16, they do get in without making the big 10 championship game. And is that, proof of being conference proof kind of that they are getting the benefit of the doubt from what, from winning the national championship in 14, help gets them in in 16. And it's not necessarily about, Hey, it's like, you know, well, they lost to Penn state, Penn state won the big 10 championship, but they still put Ohio state ahead and ahead of them. They don't, you know, teams lose. What are you going to do? We think Ohio state's great. Then they get there, they get blown off the field and now they've lost their conference proofness. And now they don't get in in 17 and 18. And that's, that's the connection of that. They had it. They benefited from it. They blew it. They no longer had it. And now is the question, is what happened against Clemson last year where they played toe-to-toe but lost, was that enough to get it back? Is that the correct timeline, Steven?
0: Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's, they'll give you a bit of a doubt. What you do with it is whether or not you get a chance the next time, and the next times they didn't get a chance. And so, yeah, I think whether it helps or not, I mean, they'd have to lose a game – for us to find out whether or not what they did in 2019 helps.
2: So the question then is actually, is Clemson actually conference proof or not? Because Nathan, one thing that, that I think you have to argue is if you're undefeated, that's not being conference proof. I get, I guess, right. Because. Right. If you're undefeated, you're in, I mean, that's just like, like that's there hasn't been an undefeated power five team that has missed the playoff yet. So that's if, – if you're undefeated, there's not a discussion. Is that correct?
1: Right. You, I mean, yeah, there's – yeah. You're not conference mean, It doesn't come into the equation.
2: Right. So then this is the issue. So Clemson in, has gotten in the playoff five times, and they've been undefeated three of those times. And the two times they weren't undefeated, in 2017 they lost to Syracuse 27-24 – in the game where Kelly Bryant got hurt. And in 2016, they lost to Pitt 43-42. So the one thing is like their losses, I mean, they've only lost twice in the regular season and the five years they made the playoff and they were by three points and one point. They don't have an Iowa loss or a Purdue loss like Ohio State does. So would, would we take those two one loss seasons as proof of being conference proof? That look, the two times they weren't undefeated, they still made it. Or is that not enough of an explanation? And I'm trying, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to, I didn't research it enough ahead of time. Well, I think
1: what's,
2: you know, I'm trying to figure out what exactly, I can't, this pit loss 43, 42, crazy game, but I'm just trying to get my head around. The Kelly Bryant injury thing was like a huge thing.
0: Yeah, so one I would X that years. one. I would X that one out because that's a clear oh if they had, had their quarterback, they probably would've won that game. So maybe the pit game more than, you know, the Syracuse game for them being conference proof. But is but, but, they, but
2: is that actually proof of being conference proof that the committee is willing to make
1: excuses for you? Nathan, go ahead. Oh see, did they play for and win the ACC championship in all of those in those other two years?
0: In twenty sixteen, yes. In twenty yeah, in both years. They beat Miami. So that's
1: yeah. that's the other thing that's a factor here is that Clemson takes a loss in any given year, but they're most likely – it's probably going to be their only loss, and they're still going to end up playing for the ACC championship that year. And, I, and we've already seen for Ohio State that that's not the case. Sometimes the one loss can keep you out uh, of the Big Ten championship.
0: The last, but, but but the, 17 and 18 they did, though. Say that again, Stephen? 17 and 18 they did. They ended up still playing, winning a Big Ten championship, though. Well,
1: that's the thing.
2: I mean, that's – what we're really talking about is 17 and 18. 15 was just – just everything went wrong. 16, yeah. they didn't play and they got in. 17 and 18, the, the, true, the real true issues here of conference proofness are Ohio State made the Big Ten Championship and won the Big Ten Championship in 17 and 18 and didn't get in. Now, one of those years they had two losses and one of the years they had one loss, but that has not happened to Clemson. When a Clemson was a one-loss ACC champ, they made it. Ohio State on its resume has a season of being a one-loss Big Ten champ and they didn't make the playoff. And that is the nut of this argument. And is, is the question, if Clemson had played its schedule and suffered the kind of loss that Ohio yeah. State suffered against Purdue, where they got blown off the field in one game where everything went wrong, but they did the rest of what Ohio State did, would they have gotten in because of what they had previously proven in the playoff? That, I think, is where you decide if a team is conference-proof or not. Because I would say – that Ohio State is not conference-proof because they've been close and not made it a couple times, and Clemson has never been close and not made it. Nathan, what do you think of that?
1: Well, but I actually think, like, the way you're spelling it out, I would say, no, Clemson is not conference-proof. I think that they would probably still face the same situation. Now, again, it, it does also depend on the layout of the na- nation that year because last year, if Clemson had lost that North Carolina game, Clemson, and then everything else plays out the way it did, Clemson still makes the playoff last year, I think. They make it over Oklahoma, right?
0: Ooh, I think.
1: Or they make it as the fourth team behind Oklahoma. But I think Clemson still makes it last year. Yeah,
0: and yeah. I, to the point of um, – because it's another close loss. It had been, and you know, I think Georgia was conversion. fifth in the standings,
1: wasn't, weren't they? Yeah. Or was, so, or was Oregon fifth? I can't remember. But 2 lost team was fifth.
0: It goes back to helping yourself. Clemson's losses were, you know, three and two points while Ohio State's were blowouts where with Clemson's you can maybe – for a team who's conference proof, you can make an excuse for it. That's part of being conference. Can we make enough excuses for why you lost? And it's just, oh, it's just a bad day. It wouldn't happen most of the time. But when you get blown out, it's, I mean, wow. I, I don't know how you excuse a blowout.
1: It's not just the blowout, too, though. I mean, that 2018 Ohio State team did have some other issues. I mean, you you could argue that the Maryland game factors into the eventual CFP decision as much as not as much as the Purdue loss, but it's that's an exasperating factor as to why you might keep a team out, right? That they're playing down to the level of a team like that.
0: Yeah, but to be fair, and, it, that's yeah. the thing. In
1: those in those years where Clemson still gets in with one loss, if you're dominating the rest of the time and then you have the one bad loss or the one narrow loss, that's it, that's not being conference proof, I don't think. I think that's the committee getting to the end of the year and just evaluating your whole body of work.
0: I wouldn't say Clemson was dominant, but yeah, you're you right to that point. If if it's only one little, you know mishap that you can kind of look past it but they had an o- overtime game that year and against florida state they only won by three so i wouldn't call it dominant but yes they didn't have a bunch of blips that you could see it coming
1: i think florida so, state might have had a little bit more respect at the
0: yeah time. that's part so, of it
2: so here's here's the part of the thing is i think i think probably the best example of this because i think steven you're right that some of the uh some of the stuff when with the Kelly Bryan injury is sort of a unique circumstance. So, the, so that leaves the most – the biggest discussion point is 2016 Clemson, where they lose this 43-42 game at home, at home, to Pitt on a day where Deshaun Watson throws for, I think, 570 yards, but also throws – 580 yards, but also throws three picks. Clemson wins – or Clemson loses to Pitt on a last-second field goal. And so that's the discussion then Clemson is the year before lost the national championship game to Alabama. And so then that's your discussion, right? That's the discussion of, okay, well, is this Clemson team good enough to make the playoff and they make the playoff. They get in with this loss to Pitt and they play Ohio state and they blow Ohio state off the field and they win the national championship. So it's like the year that would have been the, the, the most likely year to leave them out during this run, they won the national championship. Now, the other side of that though, is Ohio State almost got left out and won the first national championship. So I guess the question is not whether Clemson should or should not be or is or is not conference proof. They are, I think, they are. But wh- what would Ohio State have to do to get to the same level? right? Because I think you would have some examples in the past where they haven't been. So right now, so let's make this about right now then. Nathan, how would you expect the close game against Clemson in the playoff last year to affect this discussion of being conference-proof around Ohio State this year, specifically, because so many of the same players are back for Ohio State, and then going forward? Does that matter? They didn't win a national championship. But they proved they were right there. It wasn't thirty-one, nothing. How does that affect the conference-proof thinking for the Buckeyes?
1: Well, I think we've had this argument before too about whether when Ohio State and Clemson get on the field together at the end of the season and Clemson wins, is that a confirmation that they had an easy regular season, or is it a refutation? Of they're only getting in the playoff because of this cakewalk that they have, and I think I kind of lean more towards the second than the first. But I think there's other people who lean more towards the first. I, I think it it hurts Ohio State's conference proof um, argument just because you know. Again, Clemson keeps proving when it gets to the playoff that it's not just that it that they're being like handed a playoff spot, that their performance during the regular season is legitimate. That's why they're squashing teams that bad. And then they go on the field against Ohio State, against Alabama, against whoever, and, and win a head-to-head, except against LSU last year. And they have lost other games, but they're losing against the very best teams in the country. They're not just tripping. They're not losing to Oklahoma or whatever. So- I think it hurts. It puts that separation still between Clemson and Ohio State.
2: Stephen, what do you think of how that game will affect Ohio State's argument for conference proofness?
0: I think what it affects is if they lose to Penn State and they still get in, it shows that how they played against you know Clemson and that college football playoff mattered because it at least changed it changes some people's minds, their viewing of Ohio State when they get on the national stage. That's the most important. That's when we'll find out. If they lose to Penn State and then if they win out and they're still in the college football playoff, that's when you'll be able to make that decision on whether or not Ohio State is a conference proof team or not.
2: Yeah, well, that's we'll find out then. So, but what is it now? So, it's a seesaw. If it's a seesaw, what, where? Is is there more weight on the side of Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt if you believe that anything no. of the past factors into the playoff discussion? And I think at times I've argued that it doesn't. You just look at this year, but we don't know. You know, in the back of, of the committee members' minds, on the seesaw is it is the big fat kid? No, not no. In to the big fat kid is the more uh, the more weightless kid. I don't want to say big fat kid. I was kind of a big fat kid. That's not that's not how people talk. We're not body shaming.
0: The heavy set kid.
2: Heavy, I don't, is he heavy set. I think might even be a bit much. Just his body shape is just different. And the shapeness of his body weighs slightly more. So is, is that person sitting on the side of the seesaw that is Ohio state has a little less benefit of the doubt based on its past, or is that person sitting on the side of, they have a little more benefit of the doubt based on their past, going into this year we know where well we'll f- we'll yeah. figure it out when the committee discusses it what's our guess on where it is
0: i think they have a little bit more because also to helping yourself you're bringing back a lot of those pieces and you're already coming into the season as you know one of the two favorites for the national championship so because of all those things i think they have a little bit more for this season
2: and it only comes into effect if they lose if they don't lose it doesn't yeah. matter they're in but it's like if they lose and of course Who the loss is to, what the loss looks like, what the circumstances of the loss are, matter more than a a person on a seesaw. But the person on a seesaw has some influence. And all we know right now is the seesaw. Nathan, where is the seesaw? Is it more against Ohio State or pro Ohio State going into this year?
1: I think pro Ohio State going into this year. Um, Just because, again, they were a playoff team last year. Um, the, the, what, what I think Justin Fields probably buys them some credit in this situation. Um, I, I think they're going to get some benefit of the out. Again, it's, it, it's, it is all kind of relative to the field. And this year the field is, is, as we've talked about already, doesn't look very impressive beyond those top three teams right now. Somebody would really have to kind of surprise. Um, but I guess then that, you know, somebody in the Big 12 now, if Texas figures things out and goes undefeated, now they, that's one of the playoff spots locked up then it gets tricky for people potentially if you lose even the one game. So that might come into play.
2: All right, so let's get off the seesaw and dig into some of these texter answers on this question. Do you guys think in general – we didn't get a million texter answers on this, but the ones we got were really good, and and that's a good thing. Sometimes it's, it's hard to go through 100 texts, although we're happy to do so. Do you guys think that generally there was more agreement that, that yes, maybe Ohio State has the biggest gap of any – number one team in the power five in its conference or more pushback that sort of like, no, 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 the ACC still has a bigger gap. Steven, what do you think more texters
0: lean toward? I think more texters probably lean towards the ACC has the bigger gap, but they're wrong.
1: Yeah. I haven't looked, I hadn't looked at the text this morning, but my assumption is that there was pushback that any, any insinuation that the big 10 might be for this year or not even just the big 10 as a whole, but Ohio state's path might be easier than what Clemson has.
2: So that's part of why I said, I think that big 10 fans and Ohio state, Ohio state fans do take it as an insult when you say, Hey, your team is so good. There's a huge gap because it was more pushback. People did not really like the insinuation that, that Ralph Russo's insinuation, which he meant as a compliment. They sort of took like, no, the ACC still sucks. Um, So, that's where I want to go, for instance, from the 6 one Clemson will win. This person says, Doug might not be willing to dismiss Miami, but I sure as heck am. Clemson will win that game by 900 points. I think it'll be similar to Ohio State-Nebraska last year. Clemson doesn't have many regular season games that they get hyped for. They'll come out way too hot for the U. No idea what the spread is, but I know I'm already taking Clemson. Mark it down Monday that's from the 719. So that is Notre Dame is part of this discussion for sure that Notre Dame is like in the ACC this year and is playing Clemson. But this is this little early season rise of Miami legitimate or not is also a big driver of this discussion. How big is that Miami Clemson game Nathan in this whole conversation? And do you think that this texture might be right on how that goes?
1: Uh, well, I don't think the texture is right on how it goes. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be texting them later to set up a wager with me getting Miami plus 899 and a half points. Um, I, Clemson could win that game going away. I mean, who, who knows? We don't know yet. I think, and, but that is, that is the crux of this discussion. Like who else in the ACC is worthy of literally any respect from a national standpoint? Cause there was nobody last year, just, just nobody. And now that you've put Notre Dame in the mix, that's the other X factor here. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a second, but somebody had to be coming along to prove themselves of being some kind of impediment to Clemson. It can't just be in kind of the fluky way that, that North Carolina was last year. Um, It has to be someone who's legitimately proving themselves week in and week out to be in a, a, a position to maybe threaten Clemson. We have not seen that, We certainly didn't see it last year. It it feels like it's been a long time since that was really out there. And it's not that there haven't been other ACC teams of recent vintage that have been national powers, whether that was Florida state, whether that was Louisville, it's not that long ago that you've had teams doing that on, on in a big way. But right now Clemson just really has kind of a vacuum to themselves. So whether it's Miami, I I, I think that it needs to be Miami or somebody else, but really it it has to be even more than that, because I think in the big 10 year in and year out, you respect Penn state. Um, but nationally, there's also the respect for Wisconsin. There's still even also respect for Michigan that's considered a top 15 program. And the ACC just doesn't have that kind of depth of respect, even at that level. So Nathan, I
2: want, I want to uh, touch on the AP voting on some of these ACC teams. So if you can have the AP poll ready, and we can talk a little bit about that. But Stephen, I want to ask you specifically about what this texter from the 614 said. I think for this season, the difference between Notre Dame and Clemson, so that gap, is pretty equal to Ohio State and Penn State, Mm -hmm. which I think sounds like a pretty reasonable thing to say. And then this texter says, Miami is basically Michigan this year. And so in the constant quest to figure out whether something is an insult or a compliment, (laughs) is comparing Miami to Michigan an insult to Miami or a compliment to Miami? And is is that a plus for the Big Ten or a plus – for the ACC, what do you think of that comparison? Again, not style of play or anything, but sort of like, yeah, who you
0: think they are? I think that might be a positive for Miami over Michigan um, because Miami hasn't been at least decent. Michigan's at least been steadily a certain level. So if all of a sudden the team who's been trash for the last couple of years can be comparable to the third, to arguably the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten that's probably not a good look for the big 10, especially in most specifically Michigan. So that's a plus in the ACC's book. It's a good comparison for this singular season, but that's not a good thing.
2: I, I'm trying to figure out, and I know from a, from a diehard Ohio State fan, we know what, what the answer to this would be, but from someone who's not an Ohio State fan, who's not affiliated with Ohio State, if you said to somebody, oh God, you're so, not even, that would, okay, I can't say, oh God. If you just said to somebody, you're like the Michigan football program. Is that a compliment or an insult? If your kid, if you lived in South Carolina and your kid came to you and said, here's my project, dad, what do you think of it? And you said, wow, your project is like the Michigan football program. Would your kid burst into tears? Or would your kid like pump her arms and say, I'm the Michigan football program. I'm a consistent top 25 team that can't get over the hump against my rivals. And it's kind of a shell of my former self that really never competed for national titles anyway, but yet has a great tradition and is really famous and, you know, wins bowl games sometimes. And they're not as bad as you think. Yay. Or would they cry? What is that?
0: I think you just answered your own question because in the way you were saying it, you sounded like somebody who was in a cry for help. You're like, you're like the dog in the fire. You're like, it's all fine. while everything around you was burning. If I
2: say terrible things about you in an enthusiastic voice, we're a shell of our former selves. Yay. We're better than the Rich Rodriguez era. Great diorama. Nathan, do you think that was kind of weird? Like what do you get? Do you get what I'm saying there? Like, I don't know. Like, no,
1: I will say, though, when you don't look at Michigan through the Ohio State lens, you look at them very differently. And I know this because I talk to – I have friends that are Big Ten fans from other programs, whether that's Purdue or Iowa or Northwestern, um, and that I talk to regularly. And the way they talk about Big Ten football is very differently. And I've tried to – some of it is a a bit incorrect, and I've tried to kind of sway them back to to maybe a different perspective, a broader perspective. But they also don't look at Michigan going – 10 and three or 11 and two in any given year is like a huge underachievement or a big failure because they can't beat Ohio state. They look at that and say um, that that's still a really good season. And to most of college football, it is. So I don't think, I don't think, I definitely don't think people, if you, the average person, if you said, oh, you are the Michigan football of what you do, they wouldn't consider that a insult. I mean, it's
2: one of the, for everybody else in the big 10, other than Ohio state, beating Michigan is still a big deal. Yeah. I mean, if Indiana were to beat Michigan this year, Indiana is going to go crazy. They're going to be so excited,
1: you know? Well, and that's I the mean, thing. Like Michigan doesn't win other games of consequence really against hardly anybody anymore. I guess they might sometimes beat Penn state. They might sometimes beat somebody from the West, but a lot of times they just don't win big games period. Right. Especially when they have to go on the road, but in general, they take care of business against, the the B minus teams on down in the Big Ten, right? Like they don't they don't lose to Indiana and Michigan State and uh, Illinois and Purdue. Like they they beat those teams, so they they take care of the business against the majority of the Big Ten.
2: All right, this is Tank from the three o four. Even in a down year, Penn State is still better than anything behind Clemson. The rest of the Big Ten also rands like Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera, are all generally better than anything the ACC can put up in any given year. One year of having the Irish in their group and a second year of Mac Brown doesn't change the pitiful state of that conference. Steven, agree or disagree with Tank?
0: Uh, I, I No, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I think it's another quality game that Clemson has to play, and you have to look at it that way. Yes, the rest of the conference might – be horrendous, but at least there's another game on your schedule that, you know, that's a competitive game. If I mean, Ohio State's a, a mi- miles away from the rest of the Big Ten, but Penn State is still a competitive game for them.
1: I don't think anyone can say definitively right now that playing at Penn State this year is tougher than playing at Notre Dame.
2: I think that's probably right. Yeah. I think that's probably right.
1: So I looked uh, at – um, I tried to find, like, a ranking that I could kind of compare these two. Because oh, to me, I, this oh. question – This question of the path to the playoff, which one's easier, it kind of just comes down to Ohio State-Clemson, right? I don't think anybody feels like there's one team in the Big 12 or one team in the Pac-12 that is that much better than everybody else in that conference that they're just going to cakewalk. And I don't think anybody thinks the SEC that's true because it's just so tough week in and week out.
2: I I think we need to spend like five minutes on each of those other three conferences just to finish off those points, but we'll get to that later, so continue. I think you're right. Okay.
1: Okay. So I I first started to go by ESPN's FPI. I thought it was a little too limiting, though. I went to um, a rating that I like to use when I'm doing my AP ballot, and that's the Massey Index, which combines a bunch of computer rankings and stuff from all over the country. So here's Ohio State's schedule by the Massey Index, and this is where the teams are ranked. Nebraska, 45th. At Penn State, 17th. Rutgers, 82nd. At Maryland, 74th. Indiana, 40th. At Michigan State, 48th. At Illinois, 65th. Michigan, 26th. That's an average ranking of 49.6, and the road games. uh, It's an average ranking of 51 for the four road games. For Clemson, which plays a nine-game schedule, I took the Citadel game out because I feel like I actually
0: think
1: think playing the Citadel is more of an impediment to potentially getting the playoffs than anything, because it doesn't help you in any way, and all it does is give you a chance for one of your, you know, Trevor Lawrence to get, you know, step on somebody's ankle and get hurt in a fluke way and and capsize your season. Um, So at Wake Forest, 60; Virginia, 27; Miami, 13 at Georgia Tech, 70, Syracuse, 59, Boston College, 37, at Notre Dame, 4, at Florida State, 64, Pittsburgh, 25. So that's an average of 39.9, an average road of 49.5. So the the road is pretty much equal as far as how tough the Massey Index considers the four road games in each of these schedules. But overall, they're saying that Clemson's schedule is easier by a not insignificant margin, uh, basically 40 to 50 as the average rank of the teams that they're playing. And, and Clemson you, plays one more game. Do you buy that? Like does
2: that? I think this year. This year, yes, I believe it's true. All right. So Nathan dropped some numbers on us. Steven, you also have a, a, some kind of ranking or something that you did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I looked at the talent gaps between all of these different teams and then how to rank them in order. And Notre Dame has the the, the shortest talent gap between them and Clemson. It's only f- .58. Okay. Then,
2: hold on. Hold on a second. What are you using? What talent gap rating are you using? Two four seven.
0: Okay, Two so explain next. I,
2: I have that down as well, and we have a texter who referenced that. Okay. So it's not like every listener on here understands what you're That's talking fair. about. Lay that out.
0: So basically, what it does is it when you're when you have a recruiting, class, all these kids have a composite ranking, and so as they and every year, obviously 247 sports does a recruiting rankings composite rank, but they also do a composite ranking for the talents of each team on a year to year basis, which is basically taking those those players composite numbers and putting them all on the same team and coming up with a ranking. In 2020, this year that. Georgia leads the way. I did the average star rankings over the points because, you know, I I think average star rating just shows you a better indicator of who has the most talented roster. Georgia has number one this year with 93.27, followed by Alabama with 93.25, followed by Ohio State with 92.89, and then Clemson is also in the top four with 90.59, which means those are the most talented rosters between the last four or five recruiting classes, especially when you add in transfer portal guys. Those are expected to be the four most talented rosters, in 2020. And so, right. It just, I looked at the talent gaps. I used the average star rating for each team and just went down the schedules. And then I ranked who has the high highest, the largest talent gap and the lowest talent gap. And the top three teams as far as talent gap is Clemson. It's Notre Dame with 0.58. It's Florida state with 1.60. And it's Miami with 1.79 Penn state then comes in at number four with 2.74 Michigan closed out the top five with 3.01. But the bottom four are all big 10 teams. It's Michigan State with seven point zero eight, Illinois with a seven point eight eight, Indiana with an eight point two four, and a, and then obviously Rutgers with nine point one four is their talent gap with the average star rating. So if we're going to go off talent, Ohio State by the numbers has the easier schedule.
2: Okay, it's very close. Like when you, I, I just, I just compared. I use that same ranking. Yeah. Uh, and and like when you go down, if you just list the ACC and the Big Ten, sort of team by team. It's it's very close, but maybe there's a slight edge to the ACC again. Like what Steven said, the second place, the second best team in the ACC, it's number ten Notre Dame, and the Big Ten is number twelve Penn State, the third best team yeah. by this talent ranking. In the ACC, it's number sixteen Florida State, who actually stinks. In the Big Ten, it's number fifteen Michigan. So very close. Fourth best team, number seventeen Miami in the ACC, number twenty five Nebraska in the Big Ten, who who Nebraska sucks or has sucked. My God. So the, the hard thing is there's a talent rating, but talent isn't the only thing, which is a thing that yeah. we have to note here. I don't know if that was the Nathan sigh, which is that was too much talent discussion for Nathan from a recruiting standpoint without talking about performance on the field. Because we do have to acknowledge the fact that like Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, those are all good programs that are down the list on a talent ranking like this. that yeah. are good solid football teams that would compare very favorably to similar teams in the ACC. So I think this talent evaluation, which might lean ACC, which in the end is your conclusion, Stephen. And I Mm want to get to a texture point on this because a texture did the same thing and we appreciate their input on it. The talent might lean ACC, but let's uh, next acknowledge the Nathan sigh and let Nathan talk about how that's not the only way to evaluate this.
1: Well, no, my, my side was Nebraska spe- specific in that case. Oh, okay, <laughs> <It wasn't, laughs> that's allowed. It wasn't just the content. I, I agree with looking at overall talent as being one of the factors here. And I think that gets factored into, the, the Massey Index brings in a lot of things. And I think that that is probably a factor in some of these computer rankings that get brought in for the, the one that I used.
2: So here's the point that I want to make about the ACC that I think maybe does matter here. And I think it mattered when it happened in the Big Ten. And I don't know the financials of it because I don't care. I feel like the ACC got some better coaches. And that means that when you get talent, you can use it better. But a lot of what we saw, and we have all talked about over the last several years, the rise of the Big Ten, right? Is like Paul Christ is doing a really good job in Wisconsin. He's a great guy for that program. Getting Scott Frost at Nebraska was a big get. Is it going to work out? That was a big hire. Jeff Brom at Purdue and keeping Jeff Brom at Purdue. That's a huge deal right? I mean, there's a lot of things here that there there are some coaches going, getting hardball was a big deal for Michigan compared to what they had before. So I think Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, huge, huge get for Northwestern to have that kind of coach. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, making a difference right away. We've seen that. We've talked about that a lot. The Big Ten Network money puts money in the coffers of these programs. They can spend money on good coaches. Good coaches make a difference. Whether I I think they're overpaid or not is not a discussion for this time or place. That's happening in the ACC right now. Mac, North Carolina isn't somehow all of a sudden more competitive and more interesting and more in the national scene by accident. It's because they got Mac Brown back. Now that's a very specific, interesting circumstance, but Mac Brown is better than the coaches that they had had at North Carolina since Mac Brown left the first time. That makes North Carolina better. People are going nuts for this Jeff Collins guy at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has played some really good games early They think he's going to get something done at Georgia Tech. It might be early for that that to be a game for Clemson this year, but Georgia Tech might be a program on the rise. Jeff Halfley, people going nuts at Boston College. Boston College is looking like maybe, you know, it's a week or two win. But if you're thinking about programs on the rise, what's Boston College? Boston College under Steve Adazio was nothing. People are now excited about what Boston College under Jeff Halfley might be nanny diaz miami's coaching situation has been a crap show forever al golden not it mark Richt on the back end not it manny diaz gets it respected bringing it back a little bit it's like what is miami doing yes it's fueled by a transfer quarterback but there's also a guy there who might be a program builder that matters and then mike norvell i don't know I mean, Florida State, the fact that Florida State is so non-competitive, every national college football guy in the world will tell you it's because their offensive line recruiting and development has been awful for years and years and years, and they can't protect their quarterback, and that screws everything up. He's new. He got COVID. I think he'll be supposed to be back this week. But, like, Pat Narduzzi's good at Pitt. I think people like him. Scott Satterfeld at Louisville I think is a guy that, that people – Scott Satterfield, excuse me, like he, he did really good things at Appalachian State, eight and five last year at Louisville in year one. I just think the ACC could be on the rise in the way that a couple of years ago, the Big Ten did rise up, I think. And so we might not be talking about the disrespect for the ACC that we've talked about in this podcast for years. Two years from now, it might be a very different picture because of some of these coaches. I guess part of the question is, is the picture already changing this year? Or is it still too early? But we might be in a transition from the ACC being an embarrassment of a conference to the ACC actually having teams that can give Clemson competitive games multiple times a year. Nathan, where are we on that progression possibly?
1: Well, it seems, I don't want to say inevitable, but it makes a lot of sense that when you get a team that just runs away and hides away Clemson has from the rest of the ACC, the rest of the league doesn't stop competing. There's other teams that are looking around saying, what is there really inherently about Clemson that they can just go be this great. And the rest of us are just groveling here at their feet. And they're going to make coaching changes that try to pull themselves back to that level and make other maybe commitments that pull themselves back to that level to try to be, you know, to get up and challenge Clemson on a different plane. So I think that you would, should expect that to have happened at some point. Now, maybe, maybe the other thing would have happened where Clemson just, eventually drops off but i don't really necessarily see that happening in in the short term somebody else is going to have to like commit themselves to go up and and try to fight them on on their level and you're starting to see some evidence of that i i think it's a good thing for college football that it's happening too
2: all right so i want to get into a couple of these texters who put a lot of uh, time and effort into this from the 440 i'll channel my inner ari to answer this because ari loves to talk about talent nothing but talent Based on the 247 college talent composite ratings, yes, the gap in the Big Ten is the largest in college football. So this person is sort of doing what Stephen did, but I just want to give him a shout out. Ohio State's number three in those rankings. Penn State's 12. Clemson is four. Notre Dame is 10. The Pac-12 is the only other conference with a gap close to the ACC. The gap in the Big Ten may even be understated given the golf and quarterback talent between Justin Fields and the rest of the conference. It remains to be seen if any ACC team can actually challenge Clemson on the field, but Notre Dame and Miami look like they may be every bit as formidable as Penn State and Michigan. Steven, this is using the same thing you used and making your argument, right? You're nodding your head mm-hmm. along with that texter?
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. And to the point of the quarterback, I think that's where the differential might be, the fact that – I mean, there's, there's a gap between what Justin Fields are and Trevor Lawrence are and then what the rest of the country is. But if the quarterback talent – at places like Notre Dame and Miami or in even North Carolina, if you want to throw them in there, if you, if that's better than what Wisconsin and Penn state and Michigan have to offer, that might be in a world where it's maybe a closer than you think might tip it one way or the other.
2: And I do think if Derek King was in the big 10, we'd be talking about him.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. We'd be talking about him as a guy. Like we're talking about Michael Penix. If he's, if he's an upside guy and he's shown it a lot more already, and he did where he, in Houston, where he was before. He was a really good player. If he was, if he was a quarterback on Ohio State schedule, we would be talking about him a lot. So I think as much as I get, I get the idea of sort of not believing in Miami. It's interesting. And we've, this is so old now, but there was a time when like Clemson being Clemson was a thing where Clemson was kind of like a fraud team, where they were like good in the regular season and they sucked in bowls and that people said, or they couldn't win a big game. And people said a lot of the same things about Michigan State. And then Clemson shed that image totally. Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio shed that image in a lot of ways. And it's just proof that, you know, you don't have to be held down by your past. Now, here we are, Miami, the you, right? It's the you. But now people are like, yeah, they might be fake good. And I think people are thrown off a little bit. Mark Richt had the one year a couple years ago with Miami where they started off hot and looked like Mm -hmm. they were going to be real and they weren't. And that was not sustained at all. I think it's more likely, yes, it's a transfer quarterback, but we can't like, look down our noses at transfer quarterbacks anymore. That's just not the reality. I mean, you're going to look down your nose at Joe Burrow and act like it doesn't mat- It doesn't count for LSU because they didn't recruit and develop him. You're going to look down your nose at Justin Fields because he didn't sign with Ohio State out of high school. So I don't think we can like look down our nose at Miami and like, well, yeah, but it's a transfer quarterback. That's not the world. This is how it's going to work. Ask Lincoln Riley. Ask Lincoln Riley what it's like when you have to develop your own quarterback, by the way. But so I just think it's funny to me that like now it's Miami, this great Formerly historic, tradition laden powerhouse is now the team where people are acting like they might be fake good. I'm just cautioning. I'm not sure that you might be right. They might be fake good, but this also might be the beginning of that program figuring it out early. I, I don't, but they might be figuring it out.
1: To me, fake good is like what Virginia did last year, what Indiana did last year, where you're just not beating anybody and you're not even the ones you win, you're not really necessarily winning them in, in like a real convincing fashion. I don't, I'd see something different from Miami this year. That doesn't mean that I think they're going to be Clemson level, but I at least am respecting that Miami might be like a top 20 program this year. Whereas those other teams, I thought it was uh, ludicrous that they were being thought of as like pushing into the the, the top of the polls or whatever last year or, or, or approaching it.
2: Miami six and seven last year in the first year under Miami Diaz uh, under man, not Miami Diaz Manny under Diaz. Manny Diaz. And That's now a heck off,
0: of a nickname though. Yeah.
1: Miami Diaz. And
0: now I mean, you off know off
2: this start this year.
1: So Miami won like 40, won forty seven thirty four at Louisville, and then they beat Florida State fifty two to ten at home. So um, that's not that's not the same as beating Rutgers and Maryland. And that we we talk a lot about like pretending like the whole rest of the ACC is Rutgers and Maryland, other than Clemson. That's just not the case, or Illinois, or whatever. Like I think these are those teams are better than that, and Miami right now is clearly better than that.
2: It's hard because is that Miami, Florida State result in the end going to be more about Miami being actually pretty good or Florida State being like a a one and nine team? Very good question.
0: And that's that's where I think part of the definition of being fake good is.
2: Yeah, it's hard and it's not. But the other thing too is part of fake good for me is like, is it a one-year blip? Well, what you're doing is not actually sustainable and you kind of got like an easy schedule and maybe you got like one guy who helped get you over the top, but it doesn't mean you've turned it around. That's part of it too, that like, I, you know, Virginia made the ACC. You brought that up, Nathan. Virginia made the ACC championship game last year, kind of because somebody had to make it. I don't know if that means that Bronco, Mendenhall, and Virginia are have like arrived and like, hey, 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 watch your back, Clemson. Here comes Virginia. But, but I think maybe this might be the start of that for Miami. Not that they have to be the U, but that they can be a consistent top 25 team that actually is, is competitive. I think, I think maybe that might be what's happening at Miami because I think that guy, I think that coach might be really good.
1: I want to make a quick point about conference championship games that maybe doesn't fit exactly in the Miami thing, but it reaches back since I read those rankings earlier. Because in, in a given year, we always talk about, well, even if, if Clemson faces one tough game in the regular season, what are the chances that whoever comes out of the other division is actually going to be any good? Whereas with Ohio State, if you don't play a Wisconsin or an Iowa or whoever from the West that actually has some respect during the regular season – that's probably going to be a top 15, top 10 team maybe that you see in the Big Ten Championship game. So that Massey index I, I said before, Wisconsin's 19, Minnesota's 31. Ohio State doesn't play them in the regular season. and then But for Clint, the ACC this year is not playing divisions. It's just one division and then two teams will play for the ACC championship. Three teams that they don't play – well, I'm, I'll leave out Louisville because they're not that ranked, highly ranked. But North Carolina's 16, Virginia Tech 22. So in addition to having by – by what this – index is a tougher schedule they would also face as tough or tougher teams in a potential ac championship game by the way those teams are ranked right now than ohio state would if it's one of those two teams that they're not playing in the regular season
2: let me also tackle perception here for the moment i'm better on perception than i am on facts because perception is something that i can act like is well what i think is true as opposed to actual truth Actual truth is not my strong
1: suit. (laughs) This is like a a Colbert report routine. (laughs) Like, I don't need your numbers. I know,
0: I feel it in my gut. I believe what I believe.
2: So what I just ran through about the ACC, would you generally agree with it feels like there are some teams in the ACC that are trending up? Do you think generally that is a fair statement? Yes. Yes. Who are the Big Ten teams that are trending up right now? And I think this is more about perception because I feel like we've had that wave in the Big Ten, right? But right now, who feels like the, hey, 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 watch out for those guys team. And I wonder how that's working into this discussion. Who's trending up right now, Steven?
0: Minnesota. And I'm going to put the largest asterisk in the world on Maryland just because Mike Loxley's there and what he'll be able to do in that region.
2: Fair. Nathan, what do you think about who's trending up in the Big Ten?
1: I think those are are both probably the top two answers I would give as well, although obviously there's a big difference in how we're talking about those. Like Minnesota's trending up as like maybe they're nationally relevant, whereas Maryland's trending up as like maybe we can talk about them as if they're an actual football team.
2: So I do think, for instance, like Iowa's never trendy. Iowa's not that fun to talk about. Iowa's competitive every year. Like, look at the history of some of the games that Iowa has given Ohio State, and it's not about recruiting rankings. It's that they have, like, a coach who's been there for two decades and is, like, a pretty freaking solid coach. But they're not that fun to talk about. Nebraska, you thought they were trending up, and Scott Frost hasn't done anything yet. So, like, what Scott – if this was two years ago and Scott Frost was just landing in Nebraska, we'd all be doing the hey, 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 which we've all done and was wrong. But, like, there's a lot of big 10 – there's a lot of ACC teams right now who aren't far enough along for the – perceived enthusiasm to have been proven wrong yet right so if Nebraska ever does get it going then that's going to change some things you know Tom Allen's not super sexy I don't know Indiana's certainly better than they were a couple years ago I don't know where they are on the path but I don't know that people are talking about Indiana the way they're talking about some of these ACC teams Mel Tucker I think that was a good hire but D'Antonio was at such heights at Michigan State and the last two years have been kind of bad on and off the field that it feels like Michigan State's in a weird spot. So I do think possibly there's just also – the ACC was so bad, they had nowhere to go but up. And the yes. Big Ten already got better, and they're kind of, they kind of plateaued. And so then I think maybe from a national standpoint, that can influence how people talk about it. Nathan, you're nodding your head.
1: No, I think that's, that is the other factor here too, that like sometimes it's easy to trend up when you've already hit rock bottom and when you've already been given some esteem then it's tougher to trend up onto another level beyond that.
2: It's easy to trend up when you've already hit rock bottom. Buckeye talk. That, again, is <laughs> just... That, 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 that should go... Man.
1: That should be on a t-shirt. Yeah. 100%. That should be... That's like the <laughs> that's like the ultimate optimist man. credo. It's like, hey, I had to hit rock bottom so I could be trending back up.
0: It just seems like what the Cleveland Browns have been saying for two decades. It's...
2: Yeah. I mean, the, there is... No better way to get through life than to lower the bar as slow as you can possibly make it and then try to jump over it. It's gotten me where I am today. Uh, all right. Khalid, our guy Khalid also did some research and he is totally out on the idea that the gap in, uh, in the big 10 is bigger than the ACC. He still thinks the ACC sucks for starters. One team specifically never shows up in the recruiting rankings, but recruits very well to its system. That's Wisconsin. So I think that's a very valid point that we also tried to make. Sometimes you're trying to analyze things in a certain way and use certain numbers, but Wisconsin's not really about its recruiting numbers. A big part of it as well is that a lot of their recruits in the state don't get national recognition from the recruiting services, but they're darn good. People keep hyping the talent gap now, similar to when Urban Meyer joined the Big Ten, and I find it ridiculous. Michigan State gave a reality check about that in 2013 and 15. Some Big Ten teams just have an eye for the talent that matches their system. Penn State Michigan have a drop-off from recruiting point of view for 2021, for example, but especially for Michigan, they have silently a good class, especially if they land Donovan Edwards as expected. So he's saying like their recruiting numbers don't look as good right now, but he thinks they'll be good in the end. As for the current year, and that's the most relevant part of this, I would still take Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, over 10 teams in the Big 12 and 10 in the ACC. The Big 10 is still second after the SEC this year. So maybe not the specifics of exactly because we've done some of the comparisons, but college point here in the end is Michigan, Penn state, Wisconsin, Minnesota. If that's your second group chasing your number one team, that's still a pretty darn good group in the end. Is that a good point, Nathan, that college making?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think it's fair to say that those four teams are still, um, I mean, those are all top 25 caliber teams, I think right now, and, and pretty securely. So um, you can, plausibly vote for any of those teams um I think the ACC still has more to prove I think again though it does go back to that the, the depth is starting to emerge there in the ACC and I think that the respect is there in a more legitimate way even just after these couple weeks than there was a year ago at this time
0: and to that point I think Minnesota is the only one in that group for the Big Ten where it's okay you showed us some things can you build on it well I think most of the ACC teams in that second group are in that position outside of Notre Dame
1: but I also think – I think it's also fair to question whether any of those four teams has as high a ceiling this year yeah. as Notre Dame or maybe even Miami, because now Penn State without Micah Parsons is a different team. Um, I, I think it is fair to wonder if some of those teams, even as good as those four teams are, that, that is a nice second-tier cluster in your division, anybody's conference. But could they be passed up by some of these teams of the ACC, where a year ago we weren't thinking that way at all? Everybody in the ACC was, was a distant – tier below that
2: from the 440 the acc has notre dame who in big games against teams such as ohio state they can't hang miami has played absolutely no one i'd be stunned if the clemson game in two weeks is within 14 points so who in the acc is a challenge to clemson um, that's that's hard like if you just if you don't respect notre dame right and and you know uh, that then it makes it hard. Like if you are dismissive of Notre Dame, because clearly, right, as we talk about this, we still think it's like Notre Dame would be the second team, right? If we're talking about the gap in the ACC, we are really talking about how big is the gap. It's that Notre Dame is fully in the conference this year. And then how big is that gap between Clemson and Notre Dame,
1: right? We're not really thinking that Miami's better than Notre Dame. Is that right? No, I don't think no. so right now. I, I would still put Notre Dame second.
2: Okay. All right, so let's take a quick break. I want to come back and briefly touch on the other three Power Five conferences because we did want to make this a little bit big picture, but I think the other three conferences are just not problematic, but they're just such a different comparison for different reasons that it's much easier to compare the Big Ten and the ACC. We'll be back with more of that on Buckeye Talk after this. All right, back on Buckeye Talk from the 650. This person says, yes, I think it's very close between Penn State and Notre Dame as like that second team. Uh, as Notre Dame or Notre Dame or Miami. So that's what they're saying. They they kind of agree that, yeah, I, th- I think the gap might be bigger in the Big Ten. Georgia and Florida are closer to Alabama than Penn State is to Ohio State. The Pac-12 and the Big 12 are a mess. This is from the 650. So this is why I want to touch on these other two confer- these other three conferences quickly. The question is which conference has the bigger gap between number one and then everybody else? And then, therefore, does that mean that number one team in that conference has an easier path to the playoff? The reason that I think that's a very hard discussion to have in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 this year is because I don't know who the number one team is in those two conferences. So you can't even have the discussion, right? Do you guys agree with that? Oregon has had so many opt-outs. I think there's no question anymore from Panay Sewell to Javon Holland to so many guys at Oregon who have like opted out and are not coming back. They've been decimated by this. And it's really a shame, the game that you thought we were going to get this year between Ohio State and Oregon. That Oregon team is not the same team. I don't know if they're the best team in the Pac-12. If they're not, I don't know who is. Their season's going to be a little hinky anyway. And now that Oklahoma has lost, who's the best team in the Big 12? So, well, in having this conversation, that's why I don't think we can even talk about the Big Twelve and the Pac-12. Steven, what are you, what's your take on those two conferences and even who the number one team might be?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the, maybe it's Washington. I don't know. It's just hard because there's so many opt-outs out there in that conference right now, and in the Big Twelve. Yeah, Oklahoma lost, so I don't. Maybe it's Oklahoma and Texas still, and they just have the you know the the close closest gap of any of the conferences because either one of those two can still win a big 12 championship so you can maybe say that but there's no definitive number one for either one of those those conferences
2: but at the very least it's like we're talking about oklahoma and texas simultaneously which is the whole point there's no gap between the number one team and the next team is there anything in the ap poll that informs this is all at all nathan how people are thinking about it or what do you think of the general idea do you kind of agree that just in this discussion the big 12 and the pac-12 are a mess
1: Well, right now, it's really hard to use the AP poll. I mean, it always is, but but right now, it's especially tough. I mean, I think there were 11 voters that didn't vote for any Big Ten or Pac-12 teams this past week, so it throws this off a little bit. Um, But, I mean, you know, they have – this week, uh, Texas was number nine. Texas A&M was 13th. um, Oklahoma State, 17th. So kind of a cluster there in the middle. I think that that backs up the fact that you can't really say that there's a runaway. And obviously Oklahoma was whatever they were third before they had that loss. So, so several teams in the mix there. And then in the, in the pack 12, they still have Oregon 14th and that's the only one that made the top 25 out of the pac 12. Wow. Um, but again, like I said, there's still a lot of, of people that aren't voting for those programs. I mean, I was still voting for USC and Utah uh, but again, kind of in a similar, very similar range. It's it, In my opinion, my ballot, it looked the, 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 the way I looked at the Big 12 and Pac-12, as far as that idea that that separation at the top was very similar.
2: So that's why I think it's fair that we're just we're just not really including the Big 12 and the Pac-12 in this discussion very much, at least for this year. And that's why. So then, the question maybe is, before
1: last weekend would we have talked about the Big Twelve more, thinking that Oklahoma might have that separation, but now being sure that it doesn't. Probably not. Still though, because I think people thought Texas was going to be like a top ten ish team, and and people still are ranking them at that level. But man, that was a lot of points they gave up last week too.
2: I would have thought that going into last week, Oklahoma was a step below Clemson and Ohio State, mm-hmm. and I think maybe on the perception meter, Texas was a step ahead. Of Notre Dame and Penn State, even if the rankings didn't reflect that, or at least th- that I just do think the gap would have been smaller. I don't know. It seems like maybe people didn't maybe. like Texas, but yeah, their, their defense didn't do much. That's that Chris Ash defense down at Texas. Um, big, a big one here from the 619, and then I want to get into the SEC a little bit. I'd say Clemson is the only challenger to Ohio State when it comes to the biggest divide between the top team and the number two team. I think it's hard to say right now because we've seen a few weeks of the ACC. I think Miami looks decent, like a top 10 team decent. That's, that's high praise for Miami if they can hold on to that. I, th- I think the Florida State blowout Saturday night, uh, I take that with a grain of salt. Florida State has zero talent on the offensive line, and that program is in shambles. But still, that's what top 10 teams do to garbage opponents, which I think is that Miami didn't win by seven. They blew them off the field. I think maybe the talent gap this year from one to two in a conference might go to Ohio State. That might be the biggest gap simply because of how stacked this year's Ohio State squad is and a few opt-outs like Parsons that hit other Big Ten teams. Micah Parsons, Penn State's best player. Overall, I think there's more talent in the Big Ten, though. But this is also a year-to-year thing. I'd say over the last three, four years, Clemson takes the cake as having the easiest path of a top-tier team, and it's not even remotely close. This year, due to Ohio State's talent and losses at other schools, like Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, Micah Parsons at Penn State, Ohio State, might have the easiest path. That said, if this was a normal year and Ohio State traveled for Oregon, then I would think I'd shift it back to Clemson, taking the easier path. Either way, after watching Ohio State have to run the gauntlet of Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, for a second time in the last three weeks of the season, I'll take an easy path. I think that's a really good, comprehensive email in sort of how to look at this. And, and part of it, this a little bit, Stephen, comes at more from the standpoint of if Ohio State does have the biggest gap this year, it's more compliment than insult because this texture is saying it might be because Ohio State and how how stacked Ohio State is is that was that a good compliment reasoning? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good breakdown of it. Especially when you added the fact that Penn State is also less like Michael Parsons, everything Ohio State has going for it this year. Yeah, it, it does make it a year to year thing. So yeah, I respect that answer, especially. Because they added the caveat of some of the opt-outs of maybe the second best team in the Big Ten,
2: Colin in the six one four, and a lot of this does center around Penn State. And I think how much you believe the Michael Parsons absence is going to hurt. Colin says, "I don't think Penn State is the second best team in the Big Ten this year. I believe whoever comes out of the West, especially if that's Minnesota or Wisconsin, will be significantly better than Penn State without Parsons." So that's Colin, and that's an interesting way to look at it. Again, that that. That affects it. I don't. I mean, I don't think we're talking about. I, I mean, I guess I don't know enough. Tate Martell opted out at Miami. Did that hurt? <laughs> did that did that. Yes. Throw off the Hurricanes at it all? Is. I feel bad for Tate, man. I just get. Can somebody just get Tate on the field? He's got to find his level and get on the field. I'm not even joking, man. I, I just get get, get Tate in the Mac and let him he's tear just, it up. Just, he's
0: let just a man, you know, after his time. If he'd have been here in 2000. 2000- 13 when johnny menzel was running all over the place yeah we probably have a heisman right now
2: but this is there not a is there not that's a hot take can you please tweet <laughs> yeah, that
1: wow no, no no tweet it no 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 put Twitch your that name on that, many you that bad boy <laughs> yeah
2: at bill landis yeah. even just said seven years ago tate would have had a heisman by now um he just there's somewhere he's gotta be able to play. He's there's somewhere he's gotta be able to get on the field. He just needs to find his level. I just thought like, you know.
0: He'd be an interesting slot.
2: No, 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 no. I want him to be a quarterback. quarterback. I'm just saying go oh. play, go play in the Mountain West or go play in the Mac, whatever. Go play, quit trying to play for a top twenty-five team if that's not where it's gonna work. Get on the yeah. field at quarterback and like lead Toledo to a Mac championship. Uh from the 706, uh, the gap is not bigger in the Big Ten than it, is, than it is in the ACC. Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota can beat the ACC's two through five. Rutgers can beat Wake Forest. Uh, the U, you have to definitely wait on them. I, I don't know that any of us did that, but if there was an ACC Big Ten challenge and we lined up, you start with Clemson, Ohio State, and you go all the way through, perceived two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, like who would win? I don't know. Nathan, you, could look. you have the Massey rankings for right now, right? Nathan, can you take yep. us through? We'll just let you do it. You do your perceived ACC Big Ten challenge and tell us who would win.
1: I mean, just looking at it on the fly. So, you know, Clemson, Ohio State, I guess I would, I would vote Ohio State right now. That's my number one team in my poll. Um, then you'd have Notre Dame against Penn State. Um, I'd probably take Notre Dame there right now. assume we're talking about neutral fields for all these, as if that matters. Yes. Um, let's see – third uh bu- bu- bu. this would have been better with some preparation yeah it's uh, third would be I... miami miami oh, God, against right. wisconsin um a that's interesting matchup. that's interesting miami 13th wisconsin 19th um that's that's a darn near a toss-up right now i guess I, i'd probably still take the badgers until miami proves it can beat somebody of that consequence uh then you'd have north carolina against michigan interesting Michigan, North Carolina is actually ranked quite a bit higher. 16th for North Carolina, 26th for Michigan. But I'd probably still take Michigan. That's probably my Big Ten bias, North Carolina has
2: a better quarterback, but
1: I don't know. Virginia Tech against Iowa. That'd now you're starting to get close. to some really interesting things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Virginia mm-hmm. Tech against Iowa. Pitt against uh, Minnesota. Probably take Minnesota, but that's an interesting game. But, I mean, Pitt ranked 25 and Minnesota 31. Virginia against IU. Oh boy, that's the the yeah, fake good bowl. <laughs> they
2: they've played before, right? How many? Yeah, how they played and did they play in the regular season a couple of years ago?
1: I think they so. Been, yeah, in the
2: bowl also. Okay, so that's good. So the point is, it once you get to the middle, it's really close. It is really close. But I think the I well, think even it was, the top, it's really close. I mean, Ohio State, Clemson is. I can't oh, get for much closer
1: sure. than last year. So,
2: and I do think the point of like the Wisconsin Miami game is a good example. And it's like Miami might be good, but Wisconsin's more established. And I'm not sure how would you lean toward Miami in that situation, right? Just based on a couple games. So it's kind of what we got to before that. I think the big 10 teams that we're talking about are more established, but the ACC teams that we're talking about at that level might be trending up. And and so in two years, it might be really interesting. I I just want to give more shout outs to the people who did a lot of work on this stuff from the three, two, one, your question regarding the big 10 gap between the top ten and everyone else versus other conferences piqued my interest. So I took a look at it by looking at recruiting rankings I know there are other factors, but I feel it does give a good look at roster strength. I only looked at the Big Ten and the ACC, as the ACC seemed to be the one that has a big gap between the top team, Clemson, and the rest of the conference. Comparing the Big Ten using the 247 average player ratings from 2016 to 18, Penn State has an average player rating of 92.86, Michigan 90.11, Penn State 89.73, and Wisconsin 86.59. The team closest to Ohio State and average player rating is Michigan. 2.7 2.7 lower than Ohio State, and Penn State is 3.3 lower than Ohio State. Comparing the ACC, Clemson has an average player rating of 91.81, which is a point lower than Ohio State. Notre Dame is 89.95, Miami is 89.10, North Carolina, 87.03. The team closest to Clemson in average player rating is Notre Dame, 1.86 lower than Clemson, and Miami is 2.71 lower than Clemson. Looking at it this way, Clemson has two teams closer to it in average player rating. in in Notre Dame and Miami than Ohio State's closest closest competitor in the Big Ten. So as much as I hate to admit it, with Notre Dame and the ACC, this person does think the gap is smaller in the ACC. But again, part of the reason that the gap is smaller in something like this was because Clemson is lower rated than Ohio State. If Clemson had Ohio State's rating, then the gap wouldn't be kind of the same because Michigan has a higher rating than Notre Dame, which is the second team. It's just that Ohio state has a higher rating than the first team in Clemson. You know what I'm saying? So it's sort of like, and again, in this situation, as, as much as we like Ohio state and think Ohio state's good. I mean, I don't know that I would rank Ohio state ahead of Clemson right now in anything just based on recruiting ratings. I mean, maybe we all pick them to win the national championship, but if you're trying to do a rating like this Clemson with what they've done and who they are, they're basically on the same level. So I think it's an, it's an interesting point. It is close, I think we we can get around to our final conclusions on this in a second. I think in general, it's close. The ACC is trending a certain way. The addition of Notre Dame to the ACC this year really matters and really increases how close this is. From the 330, I would still question Clemson versus the ACC if we're going straight on recruiting rankings. Yes, but I'm not sure this isn't a year nobody is in Alabama's league in the SEC. So we didn't really get into the SEC. And this from the 330 is a good way to get into that. Is that possible? Like if, if LSU is not going to be that good because of everybody they lost, and they sure as heck didn't look very good in week one. JT Daniels, the USC transfer, is supposed to be cleared, I think, for Georgia this week, so that should sort out their quarterback situation. We never say the SEC and things like this because we just think and know and perceive that the next group in the SEC is better than the next group in the ACC in the Big Ten. But, like, are we 100% sure of that this year? Is it possible that Alabama is so good and LSU's down and Georgia's down? I don't know. Florida might be good. Nathan, does the SEC enter this conversation at all when we're talking about gap between team number one and team number two?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I think there's still enough talent to respect elsewhere in the SEC. I think we may look back at later this season and think one of our biggest overreactions was to what happened in the first half of that Georgia game this past Saturday when their quarterback situation was so unsettled. Um, When you consider just how much talent there is on that roster and how much other things they could do well and the fact that they can now have a better quarterback on the field now they've got to figure it out quick because they play Auburn this week I think Auburn's a really strong team too, but there's there's just always going to be that second team in the in the SEC, that on a given week can still challenge Alabama, even if they're a tier below, I think there's Alabama doesn't ever look at a schedule and think we're just bouncing right through this.
2: Nathan, or Steven, is there, is there anything there? Is there anything worth having? I mean, Fl- Florida really might be pretty good. Is there anything worth having a discussion where the gap in the SEC could be the greatest?
0: Mm, no, it's, it's not. Because, of you know, Florida might be really good. There's always going to be at least two teams and then another team that comes out of nowhere where you're like, maybe at the beginning of the year, you didn't think too much into it. But after two or three games into it, you're like, man, that team's pretty good. Last year, obviously, it was LSU. It might be Florida this year.
2: So let's get back to this, and we'll come to our final conclusions here in a minute. From the eight six four, I think it's similar. The gap, I think the gap is similar to the ACC. Miami is the Wisconsin of the ACC. A pretender always. They beat up on lesser teams, and then they get smoked by elite ones. Expect more of the same this year, even though like King, even though King is a legit quarterback. And I would argue that, as much as we have made the point over the years that Wisconsin has been kind of a pretender against Ohio State for sure, Wisconsin right now is more established than Miami. That, like, that's – to, like, yeah. lump Wisconsin and Miami in a group as, like, equal-level pretenders, I think sells Wisconsin quite a bit
1: short, which, which is, would give a nod to the Big Ten. Um, and those, those other people that I know that talk about the Big Ten, they talk about Wisconsin again, also, another team they talk about in a very different way. Because if you're not even really thinking about the national championship as, like, a destination – for the program that you really root for. that It's like a once in a generation flirtation you might have. Then really you're just looking at it in terms of who wins 10 or 11 games a year, who gets to the big 10 championship game. And Wisconsin does that just year in, year in, year out. From
2: the 3-1-0, ask me after Clemson plays Miami. This is really going to tell us a lot. What's the date again? We talked about it on a previous podcast. When is the Clemson-Miami game? On,
0: it is October 10th. Here. Yeah, October 10th, next, Friday, next Saturday. So next Saturday.
2: Yep. So not this week, but the next. That Third. really, that's a huge game, right? And just like Ohio State, Penn State will tell us something, but it's that Miami's kind of new on the scene again. Really makes that interesting. Um, Even if they don't
0: necessarily win the game, if they compete, I think then, it's a step.
2: And then, but then again, the perception: say Clemson wins a close game. Does that is it going to be perceived as that means Miami is good and it's a good win yeah. for Clemson, or is it going to be perceived as Clemson's not as good as we thought? Even Miami pushed them, right? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. whole thing we've talked about over the years with the perception of when there's a close game or an upset loss in the Big Ten versus the SEC. Does it say more about the lesser team or more about the better team? I don't know. Of course, we'll figure it out. Like, do you have a guess, Steven? In that scenario, how do you think it would be perceived? If Miami, let's say Miami, feels like it's going to be Clemson and Clemson pulls out a three-point win. Is Miami think, good, or is Clemson not as good?
0: I think in that, this situation, because of what we think of Ohio State and Clemson, it's Miami is good, and it's you know okay, they're on, they have something here. While with Clemson, it's okay, they just played a good ACC. Finally, they played a good ACC team.
1: I would yeah, agree with I that almost, probably. I almost think yeah. If you if you try to make the argument at that point that Clemson's just not that good, that means that you're dismissing the recruiting rankings that show them on basically the same level as Ohio state. You're dismissing the fact that they beat Ohio state headed. So if you're an Ohio state fan who automatically makes that jump call, unless Clemson really looks just awful that day, which I don't think is likely, then you're kind of demeaning your own program at the same time.
2: From the five, five nine. I still think the gap between Clemson and the rest of the ACC is bigger than the big 10. I guess we'll find out for sure in two weeks when Clemson plays Miami but I expect that game to be a much bigger blowout than Ohio State-Penn State this year. That's not to say that Clemson is better than Ohio State. It's more of a sentiment towards the second best team in the ACC being much worse than the second best team in the Big Ten. Uh, Miami is the wild card in this discussion from the 7-3-4. Are they ready for Clemson? We shall soon find out. Notre Dame is not. Question is, are those three programs the same as Ohio State-Penn State-Michigan-Wisconsin? Really, this Miami game is really going to tell us a lot really going to tell us a lot, really curious to see it. Clemson's schedule is tougher this year. This is from Josh Mustachio in the 614 because they don't play in divisions and could have to play Notre Dame or Miami twice. If the big 10 did the same thing and Ohio state had to play Penn state twice, it would be the same. Nathan, you had mentioned that before that the ACC is playing one single division. How much of a factor do you think that is in this? The idea that Clemson is playing Miami and Notre Dame in the regular season. And at this moment, those would be the two teams you would think would most likely end up as the second team in the title game, right? Does that make it tougher for Clemson? Uh,
1: potentially. I think so. Um, if you have to play Notre Dame twice, you are already have to play them once on the road. So if the two times you have to beat Notre Dame is like on the road and at a neutral field, um, I, that, that is a tougher stretch, I think. Um, but then also I, I guess I don't discount the teams that they aren't playing head to head. I mean, North Carolina, we talked about them, what they could potentially be. That's another one of those teams that's definitely trending up in the ACC and in a real way. So That's a team they don't play in a regular season, but could then have to play for the ACC championship because that team doesn't have to go through Clemson to get to an ACC championship game.
2: From the 502, I still think the overall gap between Clemson and their pack is larger because Clemson does not have multiple challengers. I might feel differently if Ohio State continues to trend away from the rest of the group. Uh, Last couple from the 937. I assume this statement was made with the assumption that Miami is legit. If Clemson blows the doors off of them, then the, I think the gap is still much bigger in the ACC. Just keep, we just keep saying this about this Miami game from the 6 1 4. I've been saying this for a few years. People want to look at recruiting class rankings with teams like Michigan and say it's close, but you have to look deeper than that. No other team in the conference gets the skill guys that Ohio State does. It's not even close. Michigan and Penn State take guys that Ohio State doesn't even recruit. So this person's saying they think the gap might be bigger in the big 10. Steven, that idea is that where you see, do you see a gigantic gap, Steven in skill guys? And again, we just had to say Quan Barkley at Penn state. He was a lower rated recruit though. Um, You know, Donovan people's Jones was a guy that Michigan beat Ohio state for. Do you, do you think that the skill player gap between Ohio state and everybody else in the big 10 means that yes, this, this gap right now is pretty huge in the big 10.
0: I don't know if it means it's pretty huge, but it's, it's trending in that direction. It's, not, it's because, yes, there's the Saquon Do- Barclays and the Donovan Peoples-Joneses of the world, but it's one or the Michael Parsons. But it, for every one or two guys that another team in the Big Ten has, obviously Ohio State's got four or five guys at that same position who are just as highly rated. So it's, I don't necessarily think right now it, it you know plays into why the gap is so big, but it's trending in that direction, especially with the way Ohio State's recruiting in 2021 and 2022.
2: All right, last texture one uh, that we can get to from Bill in North Carolina in the 704. Until Clemson has a real threat that shows up every year to challenge them, I can't say Ohio State has a bigger gap. That is an interesting point. There's what we're talking about right now, and there's the bigger picture. And in the bigger picture, Notre Dame's not in the ACC, and we don't know about Miami long term. We may have crushed Michigan the last two years, but they are always ranked and have been in the playoff conversation each year. Penn State has been a real challenge and also in the playoff discussion. Wisconsin has been the dominant team in the West and, again, is usually a top-10 team and a potential for the playoff. No other ACC team is taken seriously. North Carolina is improving, but are they as good as Penn State or Michigan? Miami, Miami is only relevant due to a transfer quarterback and King from Houston. Notre Dame is overrated as always. Who scares you or who do you really respect other than Clemson? This is a down year for the Big Ten in some ways, but I would still take the top of the Big Ten against the ACC's best and expect a lopsided record in the Big Ten's favor. That's Bill of North Carolina. I think that's a a, a good way to wrap up the texters, and we so appreciate everybody who chimed in on this. We just never can get to everybody. I pull all these answers, and I just can never get to all of them because I will never shut up and stop talking. So let's answer now our final assessment on this our final assessment on these two questions a let and let's just boil it down because we kind of threw out the other three conferences and there's two there are two separate questions that are related a who has the easier path to the playoff this year ohio state or clemson and b who has the bigger gap between ohio state and clemson at the top and the next best team or teams in their conference because I do think it's slightly different the fact that Ohio State is not playing Wisconsin or Minnesota in the regular season and I mean if you had to say is Wisconsin's probably the third best team in the Big 10 this year right Yeah, yeah, they're better than they're they're better than Michigan. So Ohio state in the regular season is playing the second best team in the conference in Penn state. They're not playing the third best team. And I think the way we see this unfolding in the ACC, Clemson is playing both the second and third best team because they're playing Notre Dame and Miami. And that's the perception right now. Is that a fair framing? Okay. So that's why I do think these, these are two kind of separate questions. So Steven, we'll start with you. Who has the easier path to the playoff Ohio state or Clemson and which conference has the bigger gap between the top team and the next best team?
0: I think Clemson might still have the easier path to the playoff um, just because there are some teams that they don't necessarily have to play on the regular season schedule while Ohio state, while the talent gap might be wider, but they still have to play Michigan and Penn state on a yearly basis in P- Penn state in year two, while Clemson a lot of the guys that we think might be good on their, on their schedule, we, you know they still have some things to prove, so I think Clemson would still have, you know, the easier path to the playoff, even if if the numbers show that the talent gap might be in favor of Ohio State.
2: Okay, so Clemson has the easier path to the playoff, but the bigger talent gap between the number one team and everybody else in the conference is in the, is it the Big Ten or the ACC? What's your Big answer? In Big the ten. Big Ten. All right, Nathan. Easiest path, biggest gap.
1: I think biggest gap is. Big Ten this year and I think easier path this year is Ohio State um, I just look at that that big crater in the middle between Penn State and Michigan and there's nothing in there that makes me think it's going to be it just reminds me of what Clemson gets to play most years is is that big gap in the middle and I don't think that Clemson really necessarily has that this year I think they have we're um, having to go at Notre Dame uh, the Miami game there's just other teams that are that are at least trending up to give them uh, you, you, there's just more teams that I respect more than the Big Ten teams that Ohio State's going to play in kind of that same gap. Like I, I think I respect uh, Boston College uh, more than certainly Maryland and Rutgers. Um, Georgia Tech—that's a road game that Clemson's going to have to play. I think I respect that more than the 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 road game that Ohio State's playing at Maryland right now. I think it's close. Um, yeah, I know Florida State stinks right now, but I think I respect that game as much or more than Illinois. Um, I, I just think that this year, this year, the road for Ohio State is a little tougher. Plus, they play one less game. Or the the road for Ohio State is a little easier. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So, and you, I also think, the, the, considering the Big Ten championship game potential too, I also don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think the West could be fascinating this year. As we talked about before in the in on Market on Monday in the prediction pod, but I think there could be some weird stuff happen in the West. So I'm not sure that it's Wisconsin that they're assured of playing in that game.
2: Okay. So. You and Steven disagree on easiest path. Steven thinks Clemson has easier path. Nathan mm-hmm. thinks Ohio state has the easier path, but you both agree that the biggest gap between the top team and then the rest of the team or teams is in the big 10. Yeah.
1: Okay. Right. And it's not just gap between one and two. It's a gap between one and the rest of the Like the pack, the, the yeah. next
2: top pack. I think that's yeah. a good phrase. Okay. So I'm going to disagree so all of us are going to wind up with different answers here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree with Nathan that I think Ohio State has the easier path this year. And I think part of that is because Clemson will probably have to play the second best team twice, whether it's Notre Dame or Miami, unless again, North Carolina winds up being the second best team. But Ohio State's not going to have to play Penn State twice. We know that. And Ohio State's not going to have to play Wisconsin or Minnesota twice, who are the favorites to get out of the West because they're not on the regular season schedule. So I think the shape of the schedule means that Ohio State has an easier path than Clemson this year. I still think the bigger gap is in the ACC. And I think that's because, as we talked about before, the, the teams in the secondary pack in the Big Ten, the sort of the Big Four right now, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, I think are more known quantities than the teams in the next in the pack in the ACC, whether that's that so that's like Notre Dame, Miami, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech. Let's say I don't I'm not even sure if you said the next three or four best teams in the ACC or Pitt, We've, something like or that. Pitt. Yeah. We've just seen Penn State give Ohio State a devil of a time, right? Ohio State's blown Michigan off the field the last couple of years, but man, that 16 game is not that far away. You know, as much as I disrespect Wisconsin and their inability to get over the hump against Ohio State, they were late in halftime in the Big Ten championship game last year, right? That there have been times when this, this top pack in the Big Ten has proven to be competitive even if they don't win against Ohio State. I'm not sure that the, the PAC and the ACC has proven it's been competitive. So if you're betting on upside, I could say, I could see why you guys answered, yeah, the Big Ten has the bigger gap. If you're more about potential and which way it's trending, I could see why Ralph Russo kind of threw out this question at the beginning. But I still think we might be a year or two away from that. And that maybe in two years, I would agree, yeah, the gap is bigger in the Big Ten because the ACC has come on I'm going to lean a little bit on. We don't know about Miami. We don't know about North Carolina. Notre Dame is a one-year thing anyway. They might be really good, but I think Notre Dame and Penn State's pretty even. And then after that, I'll take Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota. And if Michigan State gets it back together ahead of like Miami and North Carolina and where they are right now. So in the end, easier path for Ohio State, but bigger gap for the ACC. So we have two votes to one and two votes to one on both sides. And that uh, makes it fun. Retalkables, we will get it out to the texters soon. You may already have it, texters by the time you hear this. The vote on which Ohio State Penn State game we should do as retalkables for this week. Again, we are talking to Ohio State players and coaches. Read Cleveland.com/slash OSU for stories and updates on that. Every bit of information we get from those players and coaches as we get them, while they are still talking, we text it to you. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to wonder, oh, When's the news conference going to start? Oh, they said it might start at one. Oh, it didn't start yet. Oh, I have to go back and check Twitter. Oh, I have to, it comes right to you instantaneously. And then when you get it, it's not just what they said, it's what, what it meant, what they said, what did it mean? What did we think of it? Why does it matter? And you get that in your phone, information and analysis instantaneously. It's a really good time to try it and to build up to the season. Try it in the buildup. Before October 24th, do a 14-day free trial during the buildup and then see if you want it for the season. That's a good way to do it. And if you think, ah, I'm all right. I I don't really need this. I'll just listen to the pod and do whatever. That's fine. But really, if you haven't tried it, I would really try it now because there's been a lot of weird stuff happening, but now it's football time. So if you want to do that, you send a text to 614-350-3315. They send you a text back. You click the link, you sign up, and you're in. And then you try it for 14 days. $3.99 a month after that. Drop a review. We love the reviews. Please make sure you're reading cluman.com slash OSU whenever you can. And make sure you get subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you do not miss a single episode. And I just want to give a couple shout outs. I meant to do this in the middle of the podcast. Our Orange and Brown Talk podcast is so good. Five days a week. Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby are the the main people who carry that podcast. And then other people drop in on that, including me, Mary Kay Cabot and I had like a really good Baker Mayfield fight for 15 minutes. Uh, on the Tuesday pod. So I would go listen to that. And then we are doing a new podcast on the Browns. Me, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsco, twice a week. The third episode of that is also out in the Orange and Brown Talk feed right now. Wherever you subscribe to Buckeye Talk, just find Orange and Brown Talk. We call that Gotta Watch the Tape. We break down stuff about the Browns. Uh, for the Tuesday podcast there, we broke down Miles Garrett and what he did against Washington. And then we broke down why the lack of speed and the Browns secondary and linebackers Uh, means they're vulnerable on the perimeter and whether teams will try to hit them that way. So it's a new podcast. We're really having fun doing that. And I would encourage you to try that if you care about the Browns at all. More common, read, get the texts, listen. Thanks, we love you. For Steven, for Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.